Gee whiz, you've been following inflation lately? Try to buy some tomatoes at the supermarket, or fuel for that matter? You're trying to save for a deposit on a house and get emails from the real estate agents telling you about how things have gone up 23%? Well, something else that's gone up is the referral code for Cheesies. Now you'll get $10 towards your first investment simply by clicking on the link in the show notes where it says Cheesies Investing Made Easy. $10. That's money for free to help you beat inflation by investing in the market. Check it out. Links in the show notes. Cheesies Investing Made Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Siobhan. Bro, uh, what, what? Was on the, what was on the menu tonight, brother? Kia ora, kia ora. So, uh, don't know if you know, I'm actually living with my parents now. So I've been I figured, week bro. three. Week three. <laughs> I was going to say, good, uh, you, ha- you've um, furnished your house amazingly, is, is what I thought when the, I was watching your YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is uh, the guest bedroom, uh, the guest room, sorry, the guest room. So my parents have usually have two, two rooms, got the TV lounge, and you got the, the guest room. This is the guest room. And obviously, during this time now, there's no guests. So hence, it's like a lot of little little trinkets. So I'll show you something like I've got this here. Oh, 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 where is it? There you go. Oh, yeah, Santa. Santa so, globe. Yeah, no? yeah. I mean, Santa. Yeah, yeah. So, all these little trinkets. Imagine like that times 100 around the house. So, yeah. Nice. But on the menu, um, it's, it's called string hop. So, it's got idiopum. That's like the, the cultural name. But the the English name is string hoppers. So, I don't know how my mum makes it, but it's uh, it's like noodles. Yeah. 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 So, that, that was on the menu uh, tonight. So, yeah. Loose, I cooked up. Um, How about yourself? Yeah, my sister-in-law they, and brother as well. They gave me um, a HelloFresh box the other week. So I've managed, I managed to make it last two weeks. So I'm on the second week. So I had to, yeah, get rid of the silver beet. I don't really like silver beet anyway. So there was no no love lost there. And um, meatballs, that was hearty. Yeah. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. yeah the so old, um, um, I know how, yeah. Sorry, you, 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 you go. go. You go. Nah, nah, you go. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah, no, I know HelloFresh do like a, they look a really simple meal. Like they've got different categories. So one's like gourmet and they have like really quick meals. So when I was living in Christchurch, because I hated, um, I hate shopping on the weekends. I got, it's just so much decisions you've got to make. Like you got to plan your <laughs> meals. So like the beauty of HelloFresh, it's done all for you. And they had these like, you can cook your meal in like 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. So like that was, that was really good. Yeah. But I think me, I suspect meatballs is quite hard to, because you got to like put the egg in there. You got to like put it into balls and then cook it up. Yeah, this was, this was- I got the uh, protein-rich one, and this was a okay. good 45 minutes. There's still, like, a heck ton of carbs. Like, the ba- the base meal, like, for this was um, cauliflower and potato mash. So that, that took up a fair chunk of the plate. But, no, it was it was, it was good. The, their meatballs were just lamb mince and, um, and cheese, which was hearty. And then, yeah, salt and pepper. So that wasn't too bad. Mate, the old um, snow globe is pretty hearty for demonstrating floaters floaters and vitreous detachments bro have, have, have you uh have I've, you, I've have you adapt, adapted a snow globe to uh no, I, I, I think it? i should do that that's actually a good idea um i think i've, I've got a snow globe here i think do i have one or <laughs> yeah so <laughs> um that, that would be a good idea i usually use an eye got a, i should have an eye somewhere there you go man eye oh. right there eye model <laughs> you, got the, you got the good one yeah man it's always open that up to show people yeah. So, so yeah. Um, when when did no, you score the, that? The snow globe would be a good idea. Um, I think I'd trade me for about forty bucks. So, 
I always wanted a model and like, I think there are models online, some online store selling for like 200 bucks. I think, cause I suspect it's just for businesses, right? So you can yeah. charge more. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> but no, Snow Globe, good idea. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my boss about that. Yeah, Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I was just gonna say one, one regret I have in life is there's an old antique shop up on Ponsonby Road and I ducked my nose in there when I was, it was like, I just finished optometry and there was an old tin eye chart in there and it had like a phantom block on it had a little chart um and a couple of other other targets on it and it was going on sale for about 150 bucks and of course i just finished uni and was dead broke and i was like oh yeah nah. tell me about it i was like no nah, i can't 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 justify this and then so then i went back i was i was up in auckland again at the end of January and I went back in and it had sold and I was like oh man so yeah if anyone ever finds a tin or a, or a, even a I'd really love to get a light box chart to stick stick behind yeah um, no no I'm, I'm thinking I'm on the same yeah I'm on the same sort of uh, lines as you because I want to I've started a YouTube channel and I want to put stuff in the background instead of having you know old antiques from my like from my parents <laughs> from other people I want to have like cool optometry stuff you know like yeah like you said a uh, illuminated letter chart you know it's like maybe some old trial frames you know yeah. i'd love i don't know where to get them from but yeah I, I, it's a missed opportunity ryan <laughs> definitely at that be shop i'm sure um you can start burrowing around the the fielding offices mate and, and you might be able to find some stuff yeah i'm pretty sure they got junk that could be it's gold to me <laughs> <laughs> so mate you how long have you had yeah. in christchurch and you've and you've returned home so what's that yeah, what's that been that, like that's a yeah, it's it's a big story. We can delve into it more. Yeah, bro, let's but, um, go. <laughs> not 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 to bore your uh, your listeners too much. So, um, I guess like we'll do a bit of background too. So I know I know Ryan. Ryan, you're in my final year when I was in my first year. So that kind of shows time. <laughs> yeah. To put it in a nice way. <laughs> um, so I've been oof, both optometrists, um, and I've been in crisis for six years. So that's my first time me working in Christchurch was pretty much my first time in Christchurch. So I landed actually first foot in the South Island was an interview at, um, down in Christchurch. So never lived there before uh, from Palmerston North originally, which is, I am, which is where I am right now, Auckland for five years for study, um, Christchurch for six years and now I'm back in Palmerston North. So that's kind of like the, the overall, overall story. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been good. Currently I'm, I'm just on a bit of a break. So mm. yeah. And, uh, kind of enjoying just relaxing at home so this is week three <laughs> enjoying mum's food as you heard so yeah nice and who did you who did you go work for out of graduation yeah good, good question so um that was it was spec savers the big corporate multinational corporate spec savers um i had three jobs uh, at christchurch well four um so i was there for three years um which which um felt, practice were you at yeah that was i was out in hornby so that's out yep. You know, Christchurch, yeah, West Christchurch. So, yeah, um, yeah it is West, yep. <laughs> I was there for three years. So, yeah, it was, it was a good good start to the, to the career. Um, you know, lucrative and they, they help you. Well, they really, you know, you know how, how it is, right? Like they'll try and get you a job yeah, I got, before you I got bored though. Yeah, no, that, that, that's going to happen. So I think three years kind of my, you're not really learning much. Uh, I think the next, the next level hmm. is you either buy into a practice and that's a really big investment. So, um, yeah, like buying into a practice is not a, it's not a um a you don't just front decision. up hey? <laughs> no no you don't front up it's a what five ten year decision um even 20 year decision so if you want to make any 
realistic gain. Um, that being said, I've never owned a practice in my life. So but I, I, that's what I perceive it as. It's a big decision. Um, but if you're just working there, you're going to get bored pretty quickly. Um, and I think if you're, not, if you're not learning, then you've got to move on. So move on to another practice, which is kind of a medium-sized nation, nationwide practice, Matthews. Yeah. Um, that, that was really good too. Um, but like I said, for me, Zev two years, I think, sort of uh, hit the ceiling in terms of skill. Um, and then moved on to a smaller independent. So that's photo optometry. Um, I enjoyed it there too. Uh, and now I'm back in Palmerston North just for other reasons. So um, that's more family reasons coming back to Palmerston North. So that's kind of like my, and, and you could say personal reasons as well, but really family as well coming back here. Nice. Yeah. Now I've, I, um, I was a bit like you, even though I'm from Invercargill, I'd spent plenty of time in Christchurch, but I sort of signed up to graduate program with Specsavers and originally I was going to go to Hobart um, but then um, it seems to happen a little bit in my life actually, met, met a girl um, didn't learn <laughs> that one maybe um, but so then I stayed in New Zealand and, and went to Christchurch, went to Rickerton, um which was quite, it was quite a good balance because we had um, the practice outside the mall and the practice inside the mall and so I was sort of doing a 3-2 split on those um yeah. and i was getting saturdays off to play rugby and then um i'd have like oh yeah weekend work that's a, that was a big thing <laughs> I yeah about that i think i had a tuesday <laughs> i think i had a tuesday which is actually quite fun um i yeah. used to uh, line up the gym go into c1 coffee um and have, mm. have lunch there it was, it was kind of like a you know bit of a luxurious day <laughs> for me yeah like, while well, everyone's working and it's not too busy either so yeah. it's kind of like the advantage of yeah. uh, having a weekday off yeah but then i was like um that first year was good because like it was getting your head around trying to practice um going from what probably an hour 20 as a as a graduate quickly <laughs> jumping down to a 40 minute exam and then all of a sudden i was at so 20 minutes even though we we're doing half hour exams and i was like oh okay so now what do i do and then so i was on the on the back of the head office being like can i just start um the pathway program now and they're like oh no you gotta wait and i was like oh well yeah. I, I need i'm starting to twiddle my thumbs i need yeah. something else to to sort of go and then like, oh well there's gonna be fred hollows coming up and i was like yeah definitely put my name down for that i want to go do that but it was in papua new guinea and um yeah I, we had this all like risk management meeting to go and then in the middle of the meeting they talked about how a doctor who was a local and or two doctors who were locals had just been kidnapped um by their okay. local village they, they were alive and fine but yeah that, that that put you know put paid to the um to go to papua new guinea and yeah, then um patterson Byrne had a position and yeah sort of six months after of negotiating that they ended up um paying out my graduate fee and got to move and that was a bit like going to matthews ish they're a little smaller than matthews but again sort of halfway between corporate and and independent practice and funnily enough i'm back back here now and <laughs> try try my hardest to figure out the way to go into practice ownership which as you just said is like a big big deal commitment five to ten to twenty year whole life man <laughs> i reckon it's a lifelong investment i think all of it, all of it, yeah. Um, what did you What did you learn? Um, what were you, What was your progression of learning from starting work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. So, um, 
in like going back to high school, I know you asked me about after, during work, but high school, university, I was quite academic. Yeah. So what you learn in work, and I think everyone is like this, everything is just so, so different. So many, so many skills you've got to like coordinate and think about, and you wouldn't really think about or be exposed to at school. So yeah. like I said, very academic. I really like science. Both my parents are scientists. Um, and I was really academic driven, like very results focused, like getting good grades and exams. Mm-hmm. But like when you come after, when you come out of, out of university, that doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> so, so it's not important. Well, it's important, but I mean, it's not the be all end all. Like, no one's going to really care if you can recite all the pathologies of the eye. Um, you, just, you just need to know what you need to know and know what you don't know, um, and then be able to communicate that with the person. So, for me, the really big thing, um, and I'm still working on it today, is communication. So, just be able to pick up, not just explaining things to people, but just understanding their second, their, I call it their, like the second language. It's like yeah. their body language. So there's things they don't tell you, but they're telling you if you're listening. Um, and I, I get it wrong sometimes, but that's the main things I've learned is that communication. Yeah. Um, yeah I had one of, the, one of those situations today. Eh? It was like um, yeah. someone came in super panicked that had cataract surgery last week. And they were super panicked, and I, I, might, I might have seen this on your um, Instagram. I think. Yeah, yeah. So that was that yeah, was yeah. all it was. Was the wound? And, oh, they had like uveitis basically, over top of still yeah. being on a um, four times a day steroid drop. They were still inflamed, yeah. and like their wound yeah. was all, all swollen. So she she'd called up on Friday when we were doing diabetic clinic and said like, "My vision's blurry. I had cataract surgery on Tuesday." And in my head, you know, well, you and I would be like, mm, "That's not out of out of the question." Mm-hmm. And then so I said, "I'll just get her to come in on Monday." And then I had a quick look at her file and there was notes that, you know, possible swelling in the macula. And I was like, oh, here we go. And this is <laughs> um, cystomacular edema. So yeah. um, I sort of came out and she was like, do you know why I'm here? I'm like, yeah. Um, the girls told me and I've had a good look over your notes. She just kept saying, like, do you know what I'm, why I'm here? I was like, yeah, <laughs> I know why you're here. Like, this, this, this is why, we, why we're in this room. We're taking an image of your macula, making sure you... You're not, you know, the the worst thing is not happening. And I was just like in the middle of telling her, like, the worst thing's not happening. And she just like blew up at me. <laughs> she was like, I've got a heart condition as well. And I'm straight out of the moment. I'm like, I was just like, hang on, like, slow down. <laughs> and I, I was saying, yeah. to, saying to my um, girlfriend, I was like, oh, I just had to like kill her with kindness. Hey? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it happens quite a lot. So it's just like we just need to slow down. It's like I understand you're worried. I'm like, this is this is the most important thing when it comes to having cataract surgery. It's like two percent risk for no matter what, it's two percent risk. That's like, you know, we're as a as a as a world we're looking, learning about stepping into risk. And like these sorts of things yeah. people don't people don't think about when they have surgery. Like there's always risks with surgery and, and for cataract surgery it's that you might get swelling at your macula. Now it's treatable, but you know, two percent of the time that, that happens, no matter what they do. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I, it's yeah, unfortunate like, too. But I guess it's you should be explaining that throughout the whole process. Maybe it's the person, but yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm not saying you should, but I think maybe she didn't know or it wasn't really like, made clear about yeah. the risks, as yeah. you say. And I was yeah. like, so like, and she had a little bit of macular degeneration, but I was like, see that? That's fine. It's all you know, it's there, but it's not. You know, it's not actually broken or retina, but she had all these accumulations of waste products. I was like. We're good here, <laughs> you know. And she's like, "Oh, have I have I done something?" I was like, "No, no, no, no. You haven't done you haven't done anything. I'll be all right." And so then it was like, "Vision 2020." I was like, "Awesome." I was like, "So yeah, don't have to do anything. It's fine." No, <laughs> it's good, but it's really good. Like, it's it's so super pleasing. Like someone comes with an emergency, they're stressed, and then 
they go home at least relieved. Well, I think I think they're relieved. It's just yeah. a good feeling. It's a it's satisfying when the ad does happen. Yeah, it can't all, go wrong. <laughs> yeah, all I had but to do was just up, up her treatment and, and gave her some yeah. dilation. So she like she you know I was started thinking that it was inflammation when she was like oh, I keep having this boring pain over the right yes. side. I was like yeah, you're and I'm light sensitive. I'm like yeah, you're just you've just got inflammation and yeah, her wound was a bit swollen. And that was that's yeah. that's the cool thing about some of the tools that we got like um had corneal thickness and it was a good uh 30 microns thicker in in the surgery you know and you'd expect that she said two two cuts in her cornea so it's a little bit thicker but yeah it was just like yeah. Mm, this is yeah this i is can't it. believe like yeah the most of that's the norm right you can i think when i started like we we didn't have oct yet but, like it wasn't the norm but now it's like every practice has to have oct well that's for your viewers did you just, did you just learn it at uni did we you learn uni, yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. We, so, we, so, um, my last years we we they we went through a couple i think we even had like the last of the heidelbergs and then we changed to the octs so, <laughs> so yeah that would yeah. be like you said that was your first year yeah. you we, you learned it right the way through right yeah we we're lucky so i mean it's super powerful as well that tool i mean you could do a lot with it um like glaucoma so the oct for your viewers um is yeah. a way of scanning the eye and it really helps with determining some diseases so it's kind of like a I know an x-ray for your eyes it's a fish finder um, <laughs> fish finder yeah um, i've, I've, I've started globes, that so. way yeah hey? it's like it bounces <laughs> yeah. light light off all the layers in the red and it's kind of like a fish finder <laughs> they're like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i guess my demographic wouldn't know but i well i mean so yeah i guess it's like the really powerful tools and the norm now so it's really amazing how technology's progressed and um the person I used to work for, uh, their father did a did a like sort of a write up in a optometry magazine, and he was saying how it went from optometrists couldn't show frames, you know, they couldn't display frames. That was even like a, a negative thing. Yeah. They couldn't they couldn't diagnose diseases. To now, it's like we can treat. So it's pretty. It's changed quite a lot, and they say that optometry is not you know it's going down the going down the drain, or you know things are getting well. This AI is going to take over, but it's it's expanding, so it's quite exciting. Yeah, bro. Um, and you yeah. did glaucoma training. What was that like? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that was that was good. So I did glaucoma. So glaucoma is basically a disease where you, it results in irreversible blindness. So, uh, um, and that I, I did a certificate through Australian College for Optometry. So that's like a, it's like a. Did you do school that off your and, own back? Uh, no, no. So that was funded by my first workplace. Um, and yeah, that, that that was a good that was a good six month course, all online. Um, that's another thing too. Like a lot of courses have become online these days. So you don't have to take time off work. You can do it while you're while you're studying or while you're working. Sorry, mm. um, that was a good course. So they gave me the ability to prescribe glaucoma medication. So those types of medications they reduce eye pressure. So um, that's another powerful tool. So I think in 2014, um, optometrists couldn't prescribe any glaucoma drops, but with training, uh, they could now prescribe glaucoma drops. And I think that's going to be the norm eventually. So that's the same thing with. I like eye drugs. So like with um what Ryan was saying about putting in the drops to reduce the inflammation for that lady, um, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't prescribe that, but now we can because we're all endorsed. Well, every single optometrist is, is getting endorsed with the ability to prescribe therapeutic medication. Mm. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, that, um I got to work I worked in Australia for a year, so it was just kind of like free reign on glaucoma drugs. And then coming yeah. back to coming back to New Zealand. Um, yeah we did we did a um community care um for glaucoma so we could we could write out their existing script or refer them back and sort of change a medication if we wanted to but yeah it was it wasn't really it was just like a, a brief time and there was still 
referring yeah, back. Yeah, that's under care, right? Is that yeah, right? yeah, that's right. To be under under care yeah. of a specialist. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we none none of us were authorized. So how did you do your um to sort of sit in and in time with ophthalmology to get that written off? Uh, yeah, that, that was during work time, thankfully. So I did it with a specialist in uh, in Christchurch. So yeah. that was through Southern Eye Specialist. Yeah, uh, John Rawson was the specialist. So if he's listening, thank you. I'd say <laughs> thank you for that time. So. Uh, yeah, no, it was good, a good learning curve. And then I learned that he was a corneal specialist too. So he like kind of explained what corneal surgeries are and mm. that was really quite eye-opening. So yeah, so no. I really, really appreciate that time. And have you been doing much in the way of lenses, you know, having looked looked at the cornea from a corneal surgeon's perspective? No, not, not, not really. I didn't get into that sort of stage. I did, we did do a bit of orthokeratology, but I guess, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a specialty if you consider it. Uh, myopia control so obviously myopia short-sightedness and we know with short-sightedness at a school age that could become really high prescription later on in life and that can result in other eye diseases like a detached retina so that's the back of the eye peeling off or cataract <laughs> and glaucoma too yeah glaucoma yeah. is another risk with with high degree of myopia and then um one form of control is drops that you take every day for two years i think atropine eye drops yeah. um and the, the other treatment is a lens that you wear at night time and you go to sleep and then you wake up take the lenses out and you can um see clearly so that's uh orthokeratology um uh, did a bit of that uh in some practices but you need to have the patient demographic so in yeah. Christchurch there's actually a there's actually there's two major optometrists who like they, they pump out ortho because they see that type of population we weren't i didn't really work at places that had that huge patient database that that patient database but to be honest with um that type of uh this is where technology comes in so usually it takes it's a scan of the front of the eye as you know um and that scan gets sent to a lab and they're able to design a lens based off that so it used to be um back in the day like a huge fitting set you know you've got a little uh chart line up the chart this is the lens you pick you pick that lens from your trial set at work and you put it on the patient they try it out they come back and they, they make the order or you at least replace that lens the order the order replacement for that lens you've given them but mm. now it's the lab customize that lens just from maps so and then all you need to do as the optometrist is communicate pick the right patient make sure the lens is make sure the map is really good and they'll design the lens for you so it's kind of outsource that that whole whole job so yeah it's, so, it's amazing <laughs> when i was in australia we i think Shelf, we did, did still, yeah we still had a we still had a topographer for it but um at first, we didn't use the iSpace technology, which is um, Jagarit Lalu, who I've, I've had on this podcast. Yeah. He's behind iSpace. Yeah. Um, and is, is he the only optometrist, or has he, have he had more on here? Um, and Tim Eagle. Actually, I've had uh, okay. Jagarit, Tim Eagle, and Tim's dad, Mark Eagle. So we, we had a good, oh, great, great. good yarn about um, <laughs> about behavioral optometry and, and just like schooling and education and the, and the influence on, on kids. And um, Yeah, I, I want to... I want to delve into behavioral. Like it was never taught in school. And there's a lot of, um, if you read like Ransko, they're kind of, again, I feel like there's a, <laughs> it's not very polite towards behavioral optometry, but something that it could be explored. Yeah, bro. So like that, that's legit. And um, yeah, we, um, we, we did Erlen. Um, we used, yeah. not, not when I say we, Mark, um, and self, self-field programs as an educational tool. Um, there's another uh, sort of a external learning uh, catch-up sort of centre in Karaka in Auckland that uses Southfield as well, and it has really good results because um, with with schooling there's sort of 
and, it, and it's becoming more and more apparent for some reason. They're sort of being taught phonetically. I don't know how many five-year-olds you've had in lately and trying to do the letter chart and they sound out the words. Yeah, you know, no, 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 no. I've, I've had that. I've had that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> the letters, sorry. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. And like, um, yeah, <laughs> here's the example of um, my girlfriend's daughter. She's six and she just wrote a story and, you know, she had the sounding of words there. But the only, one of the few words that she had written correctly was the word said, you know, S-A-I-D, which is not phonetic at all. And I was like, well, that clearly shows that this phonetic stuff is a little bit off. And I was talking to mom, she's like, I learned in syllables. And I was like, yeah, syllables, that makes more sense. But the, <laughs> the sort of Southfield stuff works on eye movement and like peripheral integration, uh, midline integration. And it just basically takes away that loading because you can see properly and yep. if you can see properly then you don't you don't have this load of like effort to look at something then you can start learning yeah it's it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing and, and having been in a practice where it's being implemented it was amazing to see the results of the kids yeah and then exactly same, same, for, same for Erlen syndrome it's like you try and narrow the band in which somebody's working in by applying a colored filter and because um, presumably some colors they they hyper they hyperactive towards the mind to, towards the visual cortex is that right? Some yeah, I, are... I don't I don't know enough about the specifics of Erlen syndrome. I just have seen it in action. And even um, my insurance broker that I was talking to last week, he had blue a blue like quite a light blue filter, but he was the same. He was telling me about us. Okay, well, well, what do you say about the light blue filter? Oh, thoughts? not 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 the blue filter in terms of blue light filter, as in a blue oh. Erlen filter. Yeah, and he was okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he was telling me the experience that you know the he's doing the test and he thought it was sort of mumbo jumbo and an, an illusion or something at first because they <laughs> had this page white page in front of him and and the all the words kind of looked haloed and moving and then they put the blue filter over and he was kind of like, well, what have you done? And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, the the words have all come together and and they're not moving anymore. And she's like, yeah, that that's. That's kind of what happens if you've got Erlen syndrome, and he's like, "Yeah, this is, like it was just too hard to believe." <laughs> oh wow! So he became a believer. He was a non-believer and a believer in, in one day. So yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's some something that you put put a um, put something in place and it has an effect and changes your life. I guess <laughs> not having Erlen, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting to. I think it'd be hard to test because it involves like the person's. Um, yeah. It's like filling out a questionnaire, right? So it's really it's difficult to and test. And that, that is, like, and that is the problem for it. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the problem with it, and that's why, like, it gets written off because it's like, well, you can't. There's no randomized control trial to say that this is an effective treatment. And you're like, yeah, you come up with the experiment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't like you exactly. just said. You can't do the experiment. Yeah. What do you what do you use a um, blue four hundred filter? I see it's on your glasses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got it for for a bargain. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point. I, I did a, I did a blog about this. Did a bit of research because I was asked by a friend like, is, is there any point in getting blue light filters? And I was just thinking, I actually, I actually don't know. And it's it's really split decision. So I guess you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the science says that there's no conclusive evidence that blue light glasses do anything. But some people, there's no harm getting them. I guess. Okay, um, so I'd I'd say yeah, yeah go you go you go I'd say the eye strain 
no conclusive evidence. Yeah. Dry eye, Sleep. and that's also this is where I would wear blue yeah. filters. If okay. you're someone that works in in a on a computer in the evening, no harm in having a blue filter on your light, on your glasses. Mm. There's also research that says if you um, like I have flux in my computer, so you're going to go yellow yeah. throughout this conversation. Um, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if you uh, apply the filter to the actual screen, you know, it's far more effective. And um, same for my iPhone. Like, shout out to Keep Mulligan. He taught me this. Can you see that? How it's all red? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have it on the accessibility shortcut, which is uh, three clicks of the homes, uh, the I guess it's called the home button or the off on off yeah. button. This is for um, iOS users, right? Yeah, iOS or, users. Yeah. Yeah, you're an Androider. I'm an Android person. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for iOS users, there is um, if you're in your settings, there's a thing called accessibility, and the accessibility shortcut is three clicks of the home button. So I've set that accessibility shortcut to be color filter. Um, so yeah. then also in your uh, control settings and displays. Um, you can go into color filter and what I've done is I've put the color all the way to the max and hue all the way to the max and so it's completely red no other colors so that serves two purposes if you're you if you do end up using your phone at nighttime all you're getting is a red light which is a um, it's a signal that it's getting towards bedtime you know it's still it's still a bright light so it's still gonna wake you a little bit but it's it's saying to your brain that it's evening time the other awesome thing about that red filter and just having red light is it makes your phone really, really boring and you can't really see the yeah, colors exactly. that well. Okay, so well, what I've done is at nighttime, it goes black and white. So that's where it's like, I don't want to use my phone anymore. So I have a problem with my phone at nighttime or just working. I used to be really good, Ryan. So I used to be, um, I go to bed at nine o'clock or yeah. get ready for bed. Nine o'clock, start reading. Mm-hmm. This is my, my nighttime routine. Have a, have a warm tea, uh, yeah. get ready, get a Kindle out, read, read a book. But now I've sort of, uh, I don't do that anymore. I'm usually on my computer till like maybe 11, 12 midnight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then go to bed late. So yeah, it's kind of like, but then like I've sort of, sort of combat that with the phone, making it go black and white at night time, yeah. just to make it a bit boring to use the phone. But yeah. So yeah, I've been using, like a, my, use, yeah. using a Samsung J8 for the last fortnight. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure I didn't quite uh, get in touch with the true usability of, of Samsung and Android, but yeah, that, yeah, I did like that feature that the um, night setting came on. I set it to about eight o'clock, and then my screen went black and white. It was still quite bright though. I found myself. Yeah, it's probably. I think you, you can't have the red, the red, the sorry, the blue filter and the black and white at the same time. I think that's a problem. So it is quite like bright. And I think, and also, so sorry to shoot you in the foot, but um, with uh, I think LEDs, even like if the lights really orange, you still yeah. get a little bit of blue light blue, coming through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that, that begs the question, right? Like, how much blue light affects your melatonin in the brain? Like, and what what actual wavelength? You know? Yeah. What's the actual wavelength what that affects it? How much? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. I think I don't think there's a standard. Like, you know how there's there's uh, UV four hundred standard for your sunglasses. Yeah. Is there a standard for blue light? Like, what wavelength needs to be cut off, and what's the percentage that needs to be cut off? I don't think there's much. I, I don't think I couldn't find anything around that. Could you? No. No. There's no standard, so. And there's and that's the thing we where it's like, are you working on screens at nighttime? Yes. Well, there's no harm. Also, apply yeah, filters. No also, dim your lights. 
hey, if you're like yeah. super loaded, get um, Phillips Hue throughout your house. So it's just this like real mellow as. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't have to be super loaded. You can always, because I, I, I got my Phillips Hue from Tradeby. So yeah. some people didn't want them. So they're, I think they're great. So waking up in the morning, um, if you just have a light that turns on automatically, so not just the alarm, but if you have light, yeah. and if you can make that light blue light as well. So you can you sort of create your artificial sun there to wake yeah. up in the morning. That's what I've been doing. I used to be doing when I was in a really good routine. Yeah, um, my mate Ryan Nicholson. That's how he wakes up, eh? Yeah. With a, with a light, especially like in winter, when you know he's trying because he he lives in Carterton and he has to go over to Wellington, and so he's waking wow. up at four. I think around about four o'clock, and yeah, so he has this big bright blue light to come on <laughs> to wake them up. Yeah, he, he. I bet he's not using that at the moment. He's just got a wee baby, but <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what he's. And, 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 a, and a dog so he's going for a walk with the dog but it's summer but i said yeah enjoy that sunshine eh? like it, it's it's such an awesome um realignment for for your circadian rhythm to just get outside and just get like so many you know what is it like 100 fold lux from the sun yeah even on exactly a dull, right. even on a dull day like it's today at lunchtime i was outside and it was a overcast day but it was just like oh give me some light yeah exactly yeah, that's what i've been sort of missing <laughs> during lockdown getting into like the routine of just staying indoors so yeah because um, a lot of stuff i do i do mainly i do a lot of work inside on a computer so i can't really go outside you can, you can take a laptop outside i guess but <laughs> yeah and i go into the gym as well you know so the gym's all indoors so yeah have, um have you consistently been olympic lifting or are you just getting back into it Okay, yeah, I'm getting back into it. So I, used, I started weightlifting when I was in Auckland. I was 23, so I'm 28 now. No, 21, so I was, I'm 28 now. Um, yeah, so I did it for six years. I did it in Christchurch for a bit. Lockdown sort of killed it for me. And plus, I was getting to the like, – I'd train five times a day. I don't know why, because I was, I was just an average Joe. Like, I, I Is it five really times improve. a day? Sorry, five times a week. Yeah. <laughs> the correction. Um, I did. We did. We did do double trade day trainings. I don't know why. So we do a training at five in the morning sometimes, then come back after work. It was. It was crazy. Um, and I don't, I don't know why. I would never recommend it for like a average lifter, but um, yeah. I had, had to try it. Um, yeah, and then sort of getting back into it because I think it is cool doing the movements. Like if you're able to snatch weight over the head, it's not like uh, I, should, I should be able. You should keep doing it if you can do it. Keep yeah. doing it. And I think getting into those positions, because the very main reason I did weightlifting for me, because like, I always cared about my health, was it was just a beautiful union between um, flexibility, strength, and um, I guess a little bit of stamina. So, and also you get to train with people. That was a lot of fun. Um, coming to Palmerston North, uh, there's no rural club, like centralized club. Like in, in Christchurch, we had two clubs that um, we did. There's even more now. So, where people go, go to a venue and they train together. So, that's what I really enjoyed. But when you go to a commercial gym, they're kind of by yourself and when you're, when you're struggling on a squat everyone's like trying to get you trying to get you um going at a, at a club level but yeah. at a gym everyone's like to themselves so hopefully i mean i've just started going back in a gym hopefully i can find like a crew of people and yeah <laughs> see where it goes there yeah i've um i sort of when i was in australia joined crossfit for the first time and yeah how's that experience yeah, it was it was really really good um yeah. the gym was fantastic actually um yeah so the when I first so I think joined, the main thing about CrossFit is about the team environment. It's more like not the actual thing you do or the brand, but it's more like just being with people and training together. That's kind of like what people, gets people going, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And like yeah. So that gym, when I first showed up there, there was a guy that was in his last few months of training to go do SealFit. Um, and uh, one of the head coaches, she was in the process of going to the Torium Pro. Um, 
and which was the qualification for Australasia to go to the games. And um, she ended up getting fourth at that, but for some reason, some the one of the top three had qualified elsewhere, so that meant that she also got to go to the games. And then, sort of in the process of that all being worked out, her uh, the guy had been to Silver and come back and said that was like one of the most hardest but craziest, awesomest things he'd ever done. Fifty-two hours awake doing um, basically buds training, and so wow. her and well, um, another guy, um, Andrew Fraser, okay. yeah, who's yeah. a policeman, and, and this other guy, Rixie, they're all mates, and so they they signed up to do it. And then in the process of doing that, she got to go to the games and so which was the week after doing Sealfit so so then they all trained for that so she was sort of training half for Sealfit half for the games and these other two were training for Sealfit um, and yeah just like got better and better and better and really good coaching we had a guy there that had almost uh, represented South Africa in weightlifting at the Commonwealth Games um, wow. the, head, the head coach he was a little bit older so he's very technical in what he coached um, and yeah another, another guy um, my husband of the lady that went to the games, um, he was level three as well. So it was just like really high caliber coaching, lots of um, variation and really good programming. So that was really good. And then I came back to Hawke's Bay and the baby just kind of did hill fitness for going hunting. And then start start of this year, I got back into CrossFit after finishing running, doing, a, doing an ultra. So, yeah. <laughs> Ultra, wow, nice. Uh, I think my first foray into Bud's training is not me doing it, but listening to it, um, I think Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. That oh, was yeah, bro. <laughs> experience of like, oh, it's crazy, man. Like, I couldn't imagine like, being at, see, they're there to feel the Philip Hughes. They just, they just turned on right then. Yeah, yeah. There. Can you see the background sort of a bit orange now? So, yeah. <laughs> as the Philips Hughes turning on. But um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's just crazy that this experience like of um, Bud's training, just the amount. I just I can't believe there are people at that level, you know. It's just mm. here's me, and then like even the weightlifting too. Like there's just so many degrees of how awesome people are. Like there's people in your gym who are really good, yeah. and like people in the regional area, people like in the nation. Then you got people the international lifters, you know. It's just like all these levels. What's well, questionable, you know, with these international lifters, how they got that good? <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just amazing the all these levels of, like you say, with especially with CrossFit. Like all yeah. these levels of yeah, how amazing people are. Is Dimitri up on your on your radar? Uh, yeah, I think at the time, but I think he's more he's retired, right? Retired weightlifter, yeah. more of business. So it's really funny how they switch from doing the athlete, athlete, or the athlete, because a lot of athletes have short careers. Yeah, um, compared to compared to us, <laughs> we we can work for the rest of our lives basically. But um, athletes short careers, but then having to convert that into like a, a business, it's quite yeah. fascinating to. Yeah, to to watch and see, because I guess a question I want to ask you is, um, because you might be because you, you're well and in, well into your journey of podcasting, is about that content creation. Because I, I was listening to a podcast you did, you were blogging back in 2016, and I started like I was doing a uh, a bit of a stock take on my blog, and I started about two years ago. How are you yeah. finding that journey and pro- that that progression? Like that's all I've been thinking about is this content creation journey. Yeah, no, it, and it was it's it's quite interesting, um, like. I started following the the finance stuff again, um, yeah. And then I saw that you'd blogged about a couple of topics, like what it was like at school and like what it was like to always com- be compared to marks. And then you're in the real world, and like I said before, marks don't matter. It's about your mm. like people skills and communication skills, 
and how you can you know discuss you know the condition and relay it to the layman and make sure that they're satisfied and then at the same time you're both producing a um, medical apparatus but it's also got to it's a lifestyle thing that they wear on their face it's also a fashion item and then there's the retail side of it and like those are all like things that I'd explored and then like read, reading back through that and then that sort of prompted me to check back on what I'd written and I was like oh yeah that was, that was how I felt after working for two years like what the what the heck do you even do now like you know what's what's my new metric what's my new mountain to climb and and yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a step step shot in life right like i think I was, my first ever blog post was about starting a blog <laughs> i ain't gonna stick to it and like i'm, I'm happy i have so yeah yeah you know, um like what was so with the demographic of the viewers are they what sort of age is it yeah so it, or like yeah it's um mostly male it's about yeah. It's, it's it's crept under 80 percent now but it was 80 percent for a while there yeah. um and it's sort of 24 to 45 and it, it, the demographics do go 18 to 24 so that 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 wide yeah, that's like of, the 18 year olds start a blog or like just journal or something just get those memories back because i really wish i could just go back and like what was i thinking about like what was my crisis back then you know yeah <laughs> yeah and that's and that's kind of like the hard thing like is it is it all about age and stage and so like for me i finished uni at 25 you know there's yeah. arguments that your frontal cortex gets connected at 25 and so like <laughs> yeah my still, my still work going bro so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so like was that just it that was just the age and stage and and like um leaving uni with 96k student loan um two thousand dollars overdrawn um still wanting to be a rugby player Oh, good. We're back. Technical difficulties. That that's a re- that's a real um fun learning curve about content creation, mate. Technical difficulties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's painful when it happens. So the worst thing is like you're doing a video and you didn't hit record. So, or like, things that could go, go wrong is like corrupt mem- your um I don't know your SD card, card gets corrupt. Yeah, memory card gets corrupt or like I don't know something breaks. You know, it's good. It could happen, man. So yeah, well, that was like yeah. Up, Saturday. What do you want to worst experience? Oh, so the, the not recording the video thing. Um, so oh. like I'm I'm when it comes to audio uh, video recording, even just for like ones when I do it in person, I'm still just using the the laptop camera and, and just running live photo. Yep. But it's it's default setting is taking a picture. So you know I've taken two photos once. <laughs> that was good. Um, and yeah, on Saturday we had the I had the uh, digital interface there, and we plugged one of the mics in. And it was it was off the first channel as well, so it was like it was like that should be the one that works. But anyway, I had the one of the settings on something else instead of mic, and so it wasn't picking up the first channel. But for some reason, it picked up when we changed microphones. It still picked up that one. So I, I don't know what the difference was, but yeah, I was glad that when I plugged it in today and had to play around, that um, my microphone was still working because it's brand new. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, not brand new, but yeah, like, um, got it at the start of the year. So I was quite glad that didn't have to call the people I got that from and be like, oh, why is that working? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it must be painful. Have you ever done like a, ever had a podcast where you've done the podcast but not actually recorded anything? Like, no audio? Not has yet. Has happened yet? Not yet. Oh. <laughs> um, it's bound to happen, right? This numbers game. 
you know, if it's a, if it's a 1% error, you know. I think I think like the audio is the thing that I I prioritize is, is the video yeah. stuff that like um this USB mic, I sort of cuz it's not off a driver um when we're doing in Zoom at the sort of it's recording in the Zoom program. But yeah. yeah, this one time when I tried to do it live using the USB mic, then so then because it's not on a driver, the, the and the flicker rate for the um, camera on the laptop's not fast enough. The audio in the video is just so out, out of, of sync. sync. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's the worst. Oh yeah. So that was that, actually. Now you're right. That was a time when so the audio in the video wasn't there, but that was alright because it would have been out of sync anyway. But um, so I had to play the game of like getting my recorded audio and trying to put it over top of the video, and then it's out of sync, and uh, it was just it was just not fun. So I've played that game a few times. But the good thing about my audio interface is that goes into an actual audio driver, so the video audio comes from the driver. So yeah, they're synced up, which is quite nice. But yeah, I um, you, you're using OBS. That's something I need to. Well, one yeah, get some, I think ca- I saw, get some I cameras to, and the, and then, yeah, cameras and then, and, yeah, and sort then, of combine everything together. Yeah, yeah. So um, um OBS is free software too. It's yeah. free software, open open source broadcasting software. Yeah, so it's free software. And you, and I guess you can marry out multiple cameras. I think you might need like a powerful, quite quite a powerful PC just to yeah run that many like that much. You need you need something with a juice to like run that much data into your yeah into your system. But yeah, well, it'll be it'll be up in production quality and you can have like i don't know producer switching cameras is that kind of like the aim or yeah so that's what like um with a couple of guys uh the human now akash um what's his last name kuma and uh will fleming that runs um please blow my mind we've sort of been talking about yeah. how there must be a button that you can just kind of like flick you know have have in your hand and just like flick between cameras but yeah def- it'd be awesome to have um jamie vernon and just you know don't have to worry about all this stuff He's just sitting there, <laughs> sitting there with his with his headphones on and his three screens and his all his interfaces and his game game functions and just having everything crisp. Yeah, yeah. And plus, a bit of, like you, someone's checking the audio like live, so you, you're not going to miss anything. There's no errors going to be made. So yeah, and you know, yeah. if you need to know something, you can bring it up on Google. That'd be that'd be handy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what what sort of started first? Was it YouTubing or like? writing the blog and then publishing it to um optics magazine like i've I've written two for my vision um yeah it's quite like it's quite a fun process as well to like put something do some research put something into a page submit it to an editor have them come back like Mm. yeah have it come back to you if you you've got a pro right yeah this is a great right and this is a great question so i'm actually doing so i've got to give i'm gonna give you a long answer so good um, i'm doing this uh this this course it's called part-time youtuber academy um it's written by a guy called ali abdal he's a guy in the uk he's a youtuber in the uk um because what fascinates me it's not like the fame and money of being a youtuber it's just like creating something for an audience and getting it out there and then we're in the stage so I've got some jargon to introduce you to everyone. So we've got, you know, the web 1.0, web 2.0, and web 3.0. Um, mm-hmm. So web 1.0 is like the read. So the company makes a website, you can read it. That's like everyone has access to the internet. And I believe everyone, most people are at the web 1.0 stage. We're all consuming content, apart from you, Ryan, because you're making stuff. Yeah. So that, that moves on to the next stage, which is web 2.0. That's um, read, write. So that's like when YouTube creates a platform, people make stuff for that platform and people um, consume that platform. So it's, People create 
and they read they they consume yeah rather than like a big business making everything for the masses mm-hmm. uh, and i guess web, web 3.0 is, is the that's like the you get to own the internet so instead of the platform owning your content because in theory like when a youtuber puts his video up or when you put a when you write a blog it's uh, someone else is hosting that server or google is um like if you write a blog and someone searches up your blog google basically has rain or whatever gets searched mm-hmm. um and that's so where you got hack A is the Google search words. It's the SEO, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've got Web 3.0, which is like you get to own the internet. I can't, can't, I haven't figured that out, but I think we should be coming into the Web 2.0 stage. That's like you're creating. So you want to shift from a consumer to a creator. That's what I'm trying to do with the YouTube. But anyway, um, coming back to doing this course, um, like we're given homework assignments. So one homework assignment is I've got to make a YouTube video about why I'm doing YouTube. And I've been sort of scripting it today. And that made me think about my entire journey, like doing a stock take on my, um, my blog, doing these articles. And now to answer the question, what really came first was, uh, I think it was writing something on the blog. That was really it. And then um, there's a guy, I think his name is uh, Alan, Alan Sachs. Yeah, bro. Uh, yeah. That's who yeah, inspired yeah, me yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I asked him like, cause he writes so much stuff and he, he said to me, um, so the first thing you do, just contact Leslie um, at NZ Optics and just say you're keen to um, write. And I think as optometrists, we're actually quite niche. Like, there's actually not a lot of people who can write about our stuff. Yeah, I feel like there isn't. There's not a lot of people, and they're always looking for writers. So um, I, I just sent some of my stuff to Leslie, and she said most of it's unfocused. That's fine. Like I want feedback because at the end of the day, I'm just putting the stuff out to get that feedback because um, I want to improve the craft of writing or creating. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and then I, I got in touch with Lizzie. We did a, I did an article about cannabis and glaucoma. That was mm-hmm. really fun, like doing the research. I like that, man. I'm hoping I hope thank you, thank you, thank you. So it was enjoy- it was really fun. And I worked with a I think, guy in Dan who's in Ireland. Um, he's the co-editor um, for NZ Optics. And he kind of, it's really good. Like you have your thoughts and then he's able to make the, make the wording better, but still mm-hmm. maintain the same ideas. It's quite, it's, it's a real big talent. And um, that was really good. That was a demo. So it wasn't a paid job because um, at the end of the day, you want to make money. You, you know, it's not, it's not making, it's, it's not, not to become rich, but it's fun to make money off your like, off your time, eh? pursuit of your time. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, number one thing, it's fun doing this stuff. Um, and then with the second article, it was a, it was a paid gig. So that was about um, optometry and AI. And that was something I was always interested in just seeing, um, Isan's posts about uh, his startup, um, Toku Eyes, which is really cool to, to see. Um, and I, I was able to write an article sort of touching on what he does. So it's kind of cool. And hopefully it educates people as well at the same time. But the whole process of research to writing, to getting it out there, it's it's cool. It's fun. It's exciting. Yeah, it's good to talk to you um, in this episode because in that last episode that I recorded on Saturday, I we were talking about sort of metaverse and um ai and stuff and i was saying well in optometry we've got this um ai already or like before before it came to rent, um diabetic retinopathy we we had ai in the fact that you know you uh say for example scan a nerve and it gives you an age match normal it puts the person's data set in amongst a um sample data set and it gives yeah. you sort of yeah. its margin of error and that helps you or helps inform you whether or not this person is glaucoma. Now, there's still other things that you've got to factor in, and then you can start to measure that thing over time and create a trend, you know, get three measurements over time, and you've got a trend. And is this person losing nerve faster than what they should be, or are they actually staying stable and that's just the shape of their nerve and they don't fall within that normal? So that's like a bit of fun, 
you know that's basic ai and then like say you got this um machine learned photo recognition yeah. software yeah that does better than the best graders that there are and, and someone that spent <laughs> last friday grading 39 photos i'm like heck yeah um, and it's quite interesting you talk about you brought up Toku Eyes and you brought up the Aussie guys um, the company I worked for in Aussie actually intelligence, owned, intelligence. Yeah, yeah. they actually own that software <laughs> so um, I got to hear about that while I was over there and I was like well, that sounds bloody good yeah and all yeah. that but um, it's interesting in your YouTube video you talk about like the actual process of grading the image is good but then the education side of it um, needs that human touch and like I sort of have, like, oh, for a lot of, if it's not too busy, and, and this is the rough side of it, because I've got to also grade the photo, you end up very busy. But say um, I could see all those 40 people with 10 minutes for the whole day, I'd be able to do a massive educational set that's outside of their diabetic nurse, outside of their GP who's prescribing their medications, um, hopefully they're having a nutritionist as well but i think that's pretty rare um and so it's just a like third or fourth voice to talk to them about their diabetes um under the principle that hey we don't want you to go blind and hey if you're on the track for going blind we want to reverse this but mm. it just kind of you know is another landing point to say am i doing things well am i am i not doing things well if I've got these numbers, for example, HbA1c, which barely anyone seems to know about, what they actually mean for me, and I can see the eye, I can see the blood vessel, I can see the nerves, and I can see if mine aren't that good. And if I know my HbA1c, I know kind of where along the spectrum I, have, I am of risk, and so I can improve that risk. And reduce the likelihood of going blind i can heal things or yeah I re you know and it just kind of gives them some motivation for doing better and especially when it's a higher grade we'll often get someone back in six months and say over these six months i want you to really work hard on you know reducing medications reducing blood sugars i know they might not get to reducing medications in that in that time but yeah, yeah. reducing blood sugars so that you're in a position to potentially reduce medications so yeah it's it's quite it's quite a cool tool if you had like the straight away the bing of hey there's the grade now use your time as a optometrist and health professional to discuss diabetes in relation to the eye and the eye in relation to diabetes that's absolutely right ryan i think i used to work in um low vision two up in Canterbury oh, yeah. health board that was really that was a good experience because um i i had a really great mentor um john veal and yeah. he he told me, he said to me, like, a lot of people we see here, like, they don't know what's going on with their eyes. Um, like, the top minds are seeing them, obviously, at the, the hospital. But it's just, it's just a, I think the eye department's the second busiest, yeah. probably the second busiest and, like, not not as well-staffed um, uh, area. And then, uh, oh, sorry, department. So next to emergency department, the second busiest is, is the eye department. And then a lot of people don't know what's going on with their eyes. And then at low vision, I had one hour of people, well, I had about half an hour to an hour with people to just explain what's going on. So mm. like, for example, macular degeneration doesn't mean you're going to lose your vision completely. You lose your central vision and we've got to work with what we, what we have, like your peripheral vision, but you're not going to lose your eyesight completely. And a lot of people think that I'm going to go blind. So there's no hope. And then mm. with what we're trying to do is maintain that hope. And a lot of people, when they, for low vision, like a misconception, misconception is um, 
you want to see these people when you know when they're really bad vision, like six twenty four, which is worse, well, well worse than driving standard. But two times, we actually yeah. want to see them. Yeah, we should want to see them just just below. Just they're still driving, but they've got this early signs of macular degeneration, just so they know there's actually next steps. It's not just your vision's gone because once your vision's gone, the mood's not there, and if you, if you have that low mood, then it's really hard to offer different techniques like a CCTV or a magnifier or other techniques to live your normal life because that's, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do we're trying to maintain that same level of life you can't drive but you still want to maintain that same level of enjoyment and entertainment mm. with less vision so that's kind of like the aim of low vision but then a lot of people don't know what's going on with their eyes and john veal just said this job is incredibly simple you just got to communicate with the person and make sure they understand what they've got so that's kind of like that really flicked the switch for me yeah, um, and, but in terms of yeah because i didn't know i thought because uh, I, I was coming to the state when I, before i started the job i, I really thought like as optometrists, we didn't know much compared to like, let's say an ophthalmologist, like they would know so much more about the eye. We're just a second rate citizen. That's how it felt. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, I think that the, the two jobs, they're just different. They're, yeah. they're not really comparable. So they're just different. Yeah, hard out. The guy that I've taken over from in Tokoroa, um, he was also high up there, Rodney's Needle. Have you came across him? No, no, no. Uh, so he's pretty high up. Well, he's retired yes. now, but was pretty high up there in low vision. Um, treatment and, and awareness and again he we know worked for Patterson Byrne um three years ago he taught me the how like valuable an AMSL grid is and so you'd monocular map um the person's AMSL grid so it's a grid pattern with a dot in the middle and the person tries to fixate on the dot and then you can sort of map out the areas of vision and and no vision so um Macular degeneration is where you have an accumulation of waste product beneath the retina and then because it's toxic it damages the photoreceptors which are the cells that react to light and begin the message for vision and at the macula they're tightly packed together so it's like a high pixel camera and if you begin to lose photoreceptors then you're basically reducing the amount of pixels that you can see so the, the sharpness of your vision degrades because you no longer have the same concentration of photoreceptors there. And yeah. glasses and don't make it better. That's not yeah. The yeah, that's thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It doesn't, you, you're, you, despite focusing the image on the retina, you don't have the sample rate, again, back to flicker rate, sample rate um, at yeah. the macula to give um, sharp vision. So, yeah. Um, and then you can end up with a thing called geographic, so a large area of atrophy loss of these receptors. So, you yeah. basically end up with a hole in your central vision. And so, yeah, Rodney would map out this hole, and so then people can start to be aware of where they have vision. And like you said, mm, that's that, quite that, a lot. It's like we ninety percent of the vision still there. It's just the most important part isn't. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you brought up that six twenty four. It's kind of like, oh, um, how big is that? Probably yeah, point three of a mil, three hundred microns wide. Um, mm. And you go from having, you know, potentially 6-6, vision to, um, say, 0.1 of a micron, you might be at 612, 0.2 of a micron, 624. And then by the time you get outside the fovea, you're at 636, 660. Like, mm. you know, um, six times the size to 10 times the size of a 2020 letter. That's how that's how we work as optometrists. That's what the, all those <laughs> numbers mean. This is like the size that you can distinguish. Um, is what yeah, acuity the, the, is. The bigger the bottom number, the worse your vision is, basically. The bigger yeah. the denominator, the worse the vision, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that you talked about, like, the human side and macular degeneration because 
Um, the first article I wrote, or maybe I've written three articles for my vision. I have, yeah. Um, so <laughs> nice. Yeah, the, 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 the first couple of articles I wrote were kind of about nutrition and macular degeneration. Yeah. And um, it's a really good way of sort of looking at a couple of systems, like looking at neural health in associations with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. It's a good way of looking at immune health and sort of your um, inf inflammation levels and your, your sort of turnover of information. And then obviously it's the vision, the retina. And like, like you said, it's really good to see someone with macular degeneration when their vision's still good because hopefully you can prevent it from progressing. And so talking about consumption of fish, uh, talking about consumption of green leafy vegetables, talking about eggs, talking about raw nuts and avoiding processed seed oils. And like, that's where it's like, we're talking about the eye here and the turnover of the retina and how we want the this, oh, this sort of immune layer that wraps around the retina, the pigmented layer to turn over the retina. But we also want it to resolve that waste and get rid of it. Yeah. And that's kind of, kind of like your immune system. You want... Um, your body to fight stuff but you don't want it to be stagnant and have this like stale tissue and the same with like cardiovascular disease you want like if you have a insult well you don't want the insult to your vascular layer in the first place but if you do have an insult to your vascular layer you want that to heal you don't want to pluck the form which will rupture and cause a heart attack you know it's all like similar things and yeah, it's, it's yeah. Funny I never thought about it that way yeah, it's actually quite a lot like your, your they say your general health is your eyes are the what is it? The eyes of the window to the soul. soul? Window to the soul. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's true. So, I mean, it's the only organ you can look into without having to cut open. So, and a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of the eyes are quite similar. I think Ben LaHood said, um, "All his job is making holes. Holes. That's it. All in medicine is making holes. That's what he was saying about <laughs> his his work. Yeah. You know, pretty much you know, everything's all the same. So, the same <laughs> but different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like uh, my old flatmate, he was a renal surgeon, and it's like making the holes bigger and checking, checking, yeah, the, yeah. checking the plumbing <laughs> you know stenting uh, stenting uh femoral arteries and and um and uh ureters you know <laughs> it's good, good times um when you're looking at the ai stuff how much was there around looking for neurodegeneration neurodegeneration like um amyloid plaques and and things like that is has that moved much in, in our ability to take a photo or take an image and kind of give an indication for Alzheimer's or, or Parkinson's or is it still just a, a pipe um, dream at this stage? Yeah, to be honest, I'm not not not, not well versed. Uh, I think this is oculomics is the kind of field, like the, the term oculomics. So it's a mash between two words, uh, ocular, which is the eye, and then something else, systemic, something doing systemics. So oculomics. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think looking into it, it's more because like we can't determine. Like obviously with diabetes, we can we know that there's a hemorrhage there, therefore like we, there's signs there, right? But correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. You, you probably know more. But like with neural networks, it's looking at things that not even we can see. So for one example is um, coming. I'm not really answering your question, but looking at smoking. Like for example, like if you looked at an eye, could you tell? Um, if you look at a retinal photo, could you tell it's a smoker? Um, you probably could, Ryan, but most people couldn't. Nah. And, uh, <laughs> AI is able to detect like this person's a smoker. Same with um, age, what the age of the person is based on the retinal image. I guess we you could because of the um, 
and near near like how shiny the photo is essentially. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can get, you get it can determine age if you're a smoker and the the sex based on the retinal image. That's how powerful a neural network is. So a neural network is just a form of uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, and I, I presume it's doing a similar thing in uh, with oculomics, looking at neurodegenerative diseases mm. based on like the photo that humans can't see detect. So it's, it's really getting crazy. Then it starts to get to a stage where we can't explain what's going on. Mm, you know, yeah. like a lot of tests, but I guess a lot of tests you could say that, for example, in glaucoma, we look at pressure there. We've got hypotheses that for the cause of glaucoma, but we're not entirely sure, certainly, but we've got a treatment for glaucoma and that's reducing eye pressure. So you could use that same argument for, um, looking at oculomics because even though we can't really tell we we know it works yeah by magic yeah. If, if that makes sense does that make sense yeah bro and but yeah like it is quite funny how you know um people you blow the puff of the ear in their eye or you put the probe on their eye and they're like <laughs> oh it's testing for glaucoma and you kind of go uh sort of yeah it's testing <laughs> yeah, for eye, yeah, it's testing of. for eye pressure it's like you've got yeah, a high pressure you used to determine yeah it's, but yeah it's, because it's multifactorial, so yeah, and yeah. explain it to people. They're like, "Well, okay, this is actually more than what I what I expect." Yeah, or, or it, people, yeah, and then people come in like they just, they just want a glaucoma check. They just want the eye pressure test and nothing else. But that's kind of not the you need to have the full exam, yeah, know, duty of care, and yeah. And I, I always try to communicate it as in that glaucoma is a loss of nerves over time, and yeah. so even one retinal photo of the optic nerve head, one visual field, one OCT, one high pressure check um especially individually they're pretty useless together mm. they can give you a risk profile in which you determine um the frequency at what which you want to see someone but you can't diagnose glaucoma on one point and even like you'll get people that are seeing the ophthalmologist then they'll be seeing the ophthalmologist under suspect for like the last five to ten years and they still are unsure whether it's glaucoma and especially like we're saying lowering eye pressure they might have an eye pressure of 13 but they've still got these suspicious nerves that appear to be losing nerve faster than normal but yeah they're not being treated but essentially they've got glaucoma and um yeah again the whole body thing like does this person just have sleep apnea <laughs> does this person just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know out of control hypertension and again is that sleep apnea um yeah it's it's really buzzy like yeah, or other common things uh you know part of the band would wind or doing yoga lots of uh handstands yeah. <laughs> lots of handstands yeah <laughs> i gotta be careful we've got like camera on both sides <laughs> yeah 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 it's better watch it <laughs> yeah bro uh, um it's funny you're saying about um you know ryan you'll be able to pick up smoking and it's always good to uh you know you you, you do a lot of uh profiling of your patients and you sort of listen to their voice, you sort of look at their skin, um, um, look at their lips, especially the guy with moustache, that's a dead giveaway. If it's if it's yellow, <laughs> um, you know that they're a smoker. But you, you've always got to try to find the spot to ask them if they're a smoker. And sometimes it's just a matter of like doing this at lamp, which is the microscope, and smelling it on them. And then sort of <laughs> pulling the slit lamp away and be like, so, so what do you, are you a smoker? Or so what do you smoke? And they'll be like, oh, can you tell that from the eyes? And you're like, oh, sort of. You've got like <laughs> cat cataracts a little, little further along than I'd expect, but now nah, I can just smell it on you. <laughs> <laughs> the, amount, the amount of people that have a nervous fag before they come into the optometrist is, is outrageous. 
Yeah, it must be a stressful situation, you know. I guess like oh, I'm the same, you know. When I go, when I get a hearing check, or I got, when I got my hearing check, I was just worried that something will come up, like I'm going to have some sort of form of hearing loss, or you know, like it's it is stressful when you go to the dentist and you just, you just never know. Yeah, yeah. What's going on. So, how how do yeah. you feel about laser surgery? Are you an eligible patient? Me, I'm hyperopic, so I'm I'm, uh, I'm plus one, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wear glasses for show, but I actually am having. I'm symptomatic for the computer, so I do get a bit of blurriness when I'm reading. So I I do like wearing glasses for up close work. Um, my thoughts on LASIK, I think it's just like if their patient wants it, then I'm not going to say no, and then I I'd recommend it as well if they if they're showing stability and they want to have an alternative to glasses or or contacts. Um, I always push ortho okay though. <laughs> yeah, but what, nice. what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I have had it. So um, okay, what was your prescription before you um, had LASIK? Yeah, I was one seven five. Yeah, and I was okay. playing rugby at the time. Um, I'd also played water polo. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So yeah, okay. uh, what that means is instead of LASIK or Smile, where they create uh, an incision of the surface cells and, and LASIK they create like a flap that they fold back and laser down what's called the stroma, the sort of collagen structure of the eye um, or smile where they leave it there but they make a small slice which they, do you know how they pull it out? Or was it, was it just pulverized? I think they, 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 they kind of slit don't they and they take a little bit out like they don't make a flap, they kind of slit and they kind of suck yeah. it out? I don't, I don't yeah. know actually. They give it some <laughs> cornea anyway and they flatten it <laughs> yeah. down. Let's go somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, it takes 20 seconds apparently. Yeah. And you can see 20, yeah. 20 and 20 seconds. Yeah. Um, so for wow. me, um, basically, I think uh, Dr. Trevor Gray basically put a sponge on my cornea and, and wiped all the surface cells off, kind of like oh, skin cells. Man. So it's basically like yeah. grazing my eye and then yeah, lasered it down. So, so yeah, grazed my eye, pulverized my eye with lasers and then um, slapped a bandage contact lens on top gave me some sleeping pills for the next couple of days and yeah i went out for, i went out for lunch on the third day and it was i have major sympathy for people that come in with a corneal abrasion and their sunglasses on oh. holy, holy yeah. cow it was hard work but yeah by the so how, how long how long was the recovery was it, was it, yeah, was so, it four weeks yeah yeah so but yeah. by saturday um or by friday trevor was like oh you're legal to drive now and I had a rugby semi-final on that Saturday. Played yeah. one of the greatest games of my life that, that day um, at about 6-12 vision. And then yeah. went from Cornwall Park out to um, eastern suburbs. So that was kind of through the, the streets. And then yeah. came back came back to Arch Hill via the um, Western Motorway. And that was the sketchiest. Oh, were, you, were you still at uni at the time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was yeah. in my last year. So, yeah, that was the sketchiest time of my life. And... and when I, when when I'm showing people the driving stand and like that's six twelve, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's so blurry." I'm like, "Yeah, sketchy." Eh? <laughs> I was like, "I know what it's like to drive with that. It's it's well, scary." <laughs> yeah, I guess it's we take it for granted, don't we? Vision is quite the tool's yeah. gone. It's like it's taken for granted. So, and and what's yeah. worse with that, like that's six twelve with a like young retina and a clear lens. I'd hate to be six twelve with um like lens opacities are scattering light everywhere and you're just like glare and oh, horribleness yeah yeah i mean it's hard like for the job it's difficult to uh, this is something i found quite difficult to, to talk about is like a lot of conditions I, I'm, I can't experience i don't know what people are going through 
And when you talk about progress, like one basic example is talking about progressives. I've never had progressives in my life. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about it like almost at an expert level. So yeah, yeah. How, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that kind of? Like, I can't really. I can. I've studied it, but I've never never experienced it. Yeah, our um, our dispensing optician. She's oh no, she's not a dispensing optician. She's doing our dispensing. Um, she's nineteen, slightly myopic, a little bit of astigmatism, and. When I came in, I'm quite keen on occupational lenses for um, people that are it's kind of your script, you know, a little bit long-sighted, yep. Um, yep. but are over 45, more over 50, um, and so that they can have that sort of good near magnification but still use their computer and still sort of walk around the office, be in a meeting and that sort of stuff, have a conversation, um, and it kind of like blew her away. And I said to her, I was like, I reckon I need to um, put cyclopecia in your eyes so you know what it's like to not have any near focus and i'll give you a pair of ready readers to use for the day and you can see how <laughs> annoying that is and, and yeah all, all the other ladies that work at work they're all um well and truly presbyopic they're just laughing yeah. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> just to get an idea of how life annoying life that was like the good thing about being at uni yeah. and just like knocking out our accommodation all the time yeah yeah i mean i remember doing yeah that's quite i remember this one day i had to use like um can't remember is christine hammond was she around when you were yeah, at yeah. university yeah 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 so christine like she had like a collection of occupational lenses i had to use them for the rest of the day so <laughs> <laughs> just to even see in the distance like even that was like too too hard to like focus on the distance. A plus so, one a plus one <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah it was um yeah you're saying about how like that near fatigue um i ended up losing about 0.5 of myopia for a while there and i think it was just all yeah. st all stress induced um because ironically enough that was one of the benefits of lockdown for me as i managed to get my minus 0.5 back but yeah there'll be some days especially like middle of winter dark room you've come in the dark you go home in the dark and you've been sitting on your computer all day and your phone all day and then you get go walk out into the to the main um dispensing area which is a bit more open and you're just like oh man everything's so blurry mm. Yeah, like at my work, we can see um, a couple of service stations down the road, and you know you can't see the price on of fuel. And you're like, oh man, wow, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm stressed, tired, and my eyes are overactive. And currently, I'm seeing short sighted, but I know that I'm not. But yeah, yeah. Um, do you do you think seasonal is that seasonal affective disorder that affects optometrists at all? Like, do you think because yep. in winter time we're in a dark room, well, we're there in the morning, it's dark. You work the whole day, you go home and it's dark. Do you think it's a big issue for optometrists or not, or not really? I think I often tell my patients we do the most ironic job in the world. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're like constantly yeah. asking people, is it blurry when they're there to come and see? <laughs> we like shine bright lights in their eyes. We, you know, as we are just talking about, knock out their accommodation, make their pupils yeah. really big um, <laughs> and tell them to get outside and get plenty of sunshine um, but yet there's us sitting in a dark room. Um, yeah, it's the most ironic job in the world. And like um, Kent Napier, he has total vision in Hamilton East and he has a window that he has sliders in front of. It's it's the greatest yeah. practice in the country and I don't know why there's not more like that. Like yeah. I'd love to open a window and, and show the person like, hey, that's what you can see. 
But no, you got to like walk them out <laughs> out into the office and be like, oh, look down the road. Yeah, or just just a letter chart, which is a bit un- unnatural. Yeah, so I think yeah. that's actually a good, I, I might I might start doing that actually. You can get well, I guess you get them to where the trial trial ends, and then they can walk around the practice and yeah, like, see because it actually is it. It's, I, I don't know about you, Ryan. Like, but for me, because I do it, we do it nearly every day. It just loses its its that shine. This like for <laughs> someone who comes in, they come in like once every two years. Or this is their first ever time. And it's like a whole new experience for them. You know, it's like buying a house for the first time or yeah. I don't know, things like going to the cafe for the first time. Like for us, it's just so like, oh, it happens. Every, it's like, it's like on repeat, you know? Yeah. And then um, like for the person, they come into the room. It's like, this is their first time. They put the glasses on. Like it's their first time seeing or yeah, I, I, I lose touch of that sometimes. I, I, I've i got one thing, um, one story that I want to share with you. Yeah, um, last week, my my dog, um, he got into a really bad injury. So um it was pretty bad. Like he split his skin. Um, so yeah. it wasn't, wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. Um, he's a, he's a wee greyhound as well. He's an X racer. Um, and yeah, took him to the vet and that just had the, like the best care ever was like, the, <laughs> it was at the Massey vet. One of the best care. Ever. Like it was just, like I, I can imagine. It was, oh no, no. So um, I, I don't know. They've got an ICU there, like an emergency, but there weren't any students there at the time. I, I don't yeah. know what the, I think the students are for the more general care, mm-hmm. but then they had a, they've got an emergency emergency um like 24 hours and like it was just amazing because i think i don't know like if you work at a 24-hour practice like it's going to be busy you're going to be like stressed overworked but then they were absolutely like it was just class <laughs> absolute class going there you know it's, it's, it's funny you bringing up <laughs> bringing up vets we had uh, the local vet uh call us the other day and ask for a bunch of bandaged contact lenses and like, oh yeah, I had some a whole bunch of point five, <laughs> point fives, point point two fives, and, and plus and minus in stocks. So I said, yeah, you, you know, you can have. These. And he's he's going to buy like sixty lenses off us. But it t- turned out that it was our receptionist mum's dog that um had had uh, a, had a corneal abrasion. He was like, that worked really well. It's like, you know, it's it's funny how like the the two combined. <laughs> yeah, that's quite. Oh, it's cute because I think um. So for like, they'll use the same exact same drops, right? Like for example, yeah. if they've got a contractor device, it's the exact same drop, but just costs more because no Pharmax subsidy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think if you, yeah, sorry, you, 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 go, hey, you go. Yeah, I was going to talk about something different. So you go. Uh, I think, I remember seeing a post somewhere, I think someone came and they tried faking conjunctivitis um, just so they can get uh, chlorosig for their, for their dog. Right. <laughs> so to save money. <laughs> So. Four dollars <laughs> instead of forty. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's like um, currently the old ivermectin thing, isn't it? You know, the story is that people were going to the vet and getting ivermectin. <laughs> 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 um, it was funny you you, you brought yeah. up the um, the seasonal seasonally affected uh, was it seasonal affective um, disorder, depression disorder. Yeah, yeah, and like. As part of my graduate program with Specsavers, the, in the first year we did the disc analysis and they sort of like put up, you know, what a normal optometrist disc analysis profile would look like. And everyone else in the room had that same profile and mine was the completely complete opposite. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, inverted commas, normal optometrist. And then, <laughs> well, like when I like think about, uh, you know, generalized persona of an optometrist. It is a very like agreeable, quiet, like soft-spoken person. And oh, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I and I wonder if that like being locked in a dark room all day like exacerbates that. <laughs> yeah. And like, and like maybe that's why the persona is like maybe maybe 
maybe this is we're onto something in that like optometrists need to get outside more but then like plenty of them yeah. do like go hiking and like heaps of them are into photography um yeah i know richard love down in Chicago. not only he's into photography but he's into astrology as well although that's in the dark but yeah like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah i mean um i love to see a movie or a sitcom uh, involving yeah. optometrists or a movie involving an optometrist that'd be really cool because you just see what lawyers doctors uh engine yeah engineers you know like the main job is should be it's mainly those right or detective like they're, they're the cool jobs hollywood can make a movie from but could they make a movie about an optometrist yeah <laughs> kirby enthusiasm you put that up the other day yeah um, that it's the only only piece of um like pop uh pop you know whatever because i, I want to make a, a video on like, reacting to stuff in movies um, so you, you need to look up know, michael mcintyre so that that michael, same yeah that same bit that they did in Curb Your Enthusiasm is yeah. Michael McIntyre has is a comedy sketch. So like in Curb Your Enthusiasm, it was they did yeah. it so well. Like the one yeah. and two did look the same. And <laughs> and as, as we both talked about on LinkedIn, the joke is that oh, there's no never any ties on optometry. It's like no, 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 no. That's that's the end. It is what that's yeah, what we wanting. Yeah. That's what that's what we want. We want that. <laughs> yeah, it's like one, two, or yeah. is it the same? And they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's pretty similar. And you're like, oh, great. And they're like, what the Let's heck are you? What the <laughs> heck are you doing? Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, this is so confusing. But like, yeah, just yeah. compare the two. It's just all relative. And because yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe we explain that you're doing a thing called bracketing. So you're you're going one way too far and the other way too far. And so if you're in the right place, that means that um, each way is equal distance away from the center and so the center is the perfect spot but if you're leaning towards one way or the other then we move that lens in favor of the one selected so that's what's happening and it's funny how people like reckon that they you know i can i can guess and get the right one you're like that's not how this works <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah but yeah michael mcintyre yeah, is the, yeah. Same, the same thing and he's like um, one or two, you know, gets all gets all confused. So you know, th there's another video that you'll be able to do a reaction to, bro. The deconstruction, yeah. I think there's another video where um, oh, it stars it stars Brad Pitt. It's about um, oh something about coward Jesse James. The yeah. I can't remember the, the title of the movie. I think at the very beginning he's got a a um, yeah. They say he's got dry eye at the beginning of the movie. That's that's about it. <laughs> oh, do you remember Charles McGee? Charles McGee in first year. He yeah. he showed a um, video. I think it's like the first, the first movie that um, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise were in, and yeah. Nicole Kidman does ophthalmoscopy, so this little um, <laughs> one-eyed microscope. But yeah. she goes nose to nose, and they end up kissing, of course. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Charles, Charles is like, always go the same eye, you know. Then you end up with this problem. Um, there's also a really good. Aussie musical comedian guy. What's his name? It is Tom Cardi. And yeah, so he has a song and it's like um I'll play it for you. And so in the video, he's got one dilated eye and one normal eye, and that's why he thinks he looks like a bad guy. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> that's good um there's another episode in friends where i think uh, i think rachel's getting an eye test and she doesn't like the puff of air test that's one <laughs> yeah so i'm collecting a few things so yeah do you know do you know um the story behind the puff of air what it was made for no 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 so what was the story yeah so um this came out because of at COVID, during covid um ransco the what are they Royal Australian New Zealand College of Ophthalmologists, so the eye doctors, they tell us what to do quite a lot. Um, <laughs> they <laughs> they um, came out with the fact that during COVID you shouldn't do NCT because you might get viral dispersal. Oh, at, yeah, 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 yeah. about this, yeah. Because at, at the early days they sort of thought that conjunctivitis yeah, yeah. was going to be a um, major, or viral conjunctivitis, which is quite a watery um response to a viral load in your conjunctiva the jelly in your eye um, it gets really watery and so if you're puffing air into the eye that those tears are going to splatter and you might create um, spread of COVID and of course there was lots of concern of surface contamination um, early on you know which is still somewhat true in the short term but yeah so the idea was that you'd be splattering this even though it'd be on the machine but you know there might be a little bit of viral particle on the puffer and then so the next person puffs gets puffed and it flings the viral uh, particle into their eye and then so they end up with a covid related conjunctivitis anyway mark eagle was bringing up the fact that the reason why they started doing nct non-contact tonometry measuring the eye pressure was in the aids epidemic and so he's like so this is <laughs> this is like <laughs> the whole purpose of this thing was created for was for a virus <laughs> yeah yeah, so that yeah, that was the story behind NCT is that it was for the AIDS ep- epidemic. Yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't know that, but that's quite <laughs> ironic, you could say. Yeah. But then at the same time, that disinfecting of the probe is, you know, it's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how do you disinfect your probe? Um, <laughs> or do you do, do you do much um, contact uh, tonometry, or do you do? Uh, I don't know if I have here. a have a Goldman at. The practice I'm in, but I have a Perkins. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the same situation I had. I didn't know if I had a Goldman, but yeah. uh, I was told if you do if you do NCT, if you keep consistent, if you use the same testing, it's it's fine. Yeah. Even though it's not gold standard, but it's fine. But yeah, yeah. Do you use um, how do you disinfect your probe? Just with alcohol. Alcohol, okay. Yeah. Yourself? Do you have one of those kits? Well, yeah. The the recommendation is I think it's a hydrogen. It's a hydrogen peroxide. Peroxide. Um, yeah. The epoxide for five minutes or um, bleach even like a dilution of bleach mm. um, and then there was like this little pumper crystal crystal it's like a little it's like a combination of two chemicals that like come together and that really like uh that's a number on the the probe getting on rid the, of bacteria and virus yeah on the but not prions yeah all the nasties yes. yeah well <laughs> if you heard um joe reckon talk about cwd no, 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 no. Speaking of prions, like that, it talks about how they like put the metal instruments that they've done the dissection of the brains in, and the autoclave, and yeah. like five times, and the prions are still alive. No, they don't. You have to you have to actually burn the you know, the material. Like it has to be chemically destroyed because um, autoclave only. It's autoclave is high pressure, high um, temperature. I don't know what the what's the. It's one hundred twenty one degrees, right? At some pressure, five atmospheres. Jeez, you got a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no idea but anyway um i could be i could have made those numbers up right so sound good though sound um good. <laughs> yeah so that, that, that'll kill bacteria bacterial spores so bacteria can form spores where um it's basically a 
which is an inactive bacteria and then mm. becomes activated in a favorable environment. Um, so that can be killed by autoclave, but prions, prions are misfolded proteins um, and they can't be destroyed in an autoclave. They have to be chemically destroyed with a fire. Um, so, uh, and what prions do is they, for example, in the brain, um, mad cow disease was, was one example of prions. So a prion will touch another normal protein, cause it to misshapen and that becomes a prion itself. And then it, Touches another normal protein, yeah, causes zombie. It's like the the form the of zombie. zombie apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Did did you um get into optometry undergrad? Yeah, undergrad. So I was fortunate enough to um. So my like initially I didn't I didn't aim to become an optometrist. I know from your story, Ryan, for age twelve, right? It's like when you want to become yeah. a yeah optometrist. That's that's great, man. And I'm really happy for you right now. You're living the dream. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 like one of those weird things, and you're like. Oh, was that a good thing to know and just like follow this path or could, you know, you never know, but like my parallel universe must be living the, the, the random life. <laughs> <laughs> the random life. Yeah. What, what would you do if you did the optometry? Like what are the, would you be a podcaster or a marketer? Yeah, or oh, would yeah, you, yeah. yeah. No. Um, <laughs> so my alternative, cause, um, as I said, I wanted to get in, wanted to do it since I was 12, but I didn't get in from undergrad. So I went to Dunedin. So between, uh, I had to wait until uh, Waitangi Day, so I had a week to decide what I was going to do. And so I, my brother had done, well, was doing engineering, and you know, a bit like you, good at good, uh, liked science and and maths. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just go do engineering, go to Christchurch, um, get an engineering degree. And then I was sort of had a moment where I was like, nah. I do really want to be an optometrist. I've wanted to be an optometrist for a long time. So, like, what's an alternative? So, I went to Otago, carried on doing science, and um, had got into a, a pre honors program there, um, which was really good. Did lots of um, research skills with that. Sort of wrote up a research proposal um, that would have I would have followed on, and if I'd done honors, but I was kind of looking at that like, where does a career in science take you? And I was getting a little bit disheartened I was like oh and by that stage I'd, I'd done a pre-academy um which was a uh, for rugby it was kind of like a program that the Otago Polytech did where you got to do training and learn coaching skills and stuff and yeah it really helped my rugby I managed to play play a game for Varsity A in the Premier Rugby and I was like oh well maybe I'll go home and I'll be a builder so like that would have been one of my options and then mm. my, my other dream is to um own a deer farm so that's that's kind of part of my motivation of being a practice owner is to raise enough <laughs> equity and capital to to buy a farm. So yeah, I don't know yeah. we, what my random life would have been like, but I still try to keep, despite my very prescribed optometry life, I keep keep some um, elements of uh, fate and and interest going on. So yeah, nah. It was it was it was those first two first two exam or oh, multi-choice exams that were at 40 percent that were in biosci 107 so like human body systems oh yeah yeah that's and, a long time ago man like yeah and chem one yeah yeah chem yeah. 110 um that was again 40 percent <laughs> weighted no, no plusage and um 50 multi-choice questions you've got three hours <laughs> or two hours <laughs> yeah i got 50 wow. percent of both of them so i was screwed <laughs> Oh, okay, because yeah, there's a grade to get into optometry. I don't know if things have changed now, but it's, I got on the wait list. Have, but yeah, I was like 26, yeah. and they're like, uh, usually about half the people 
to climb and it was 52 spots so yeah i was right on the cusp <laughs> oh you're nice yeah what, what you got in post-grad is that right post-grad yeah. you're in a yeah 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 because you're in otago yeah and like i had an in- interview with rob jacobs did you have him while uh he he, he was around but we never had him formally yeah. teaching us like he would maybe take a few lessons and then yeah yeah he was very is he he's still, he's still there now right i think no i think he i think he uh left he retired yeah i think uh, okay. to australia yeah. maybe but yeah i remember my interview with rob jacobs and like it was on the phone because i was in invercargill and yeah it was the most nervous i've ever been in my life like i mm. was like got off the phone and i was drenched it was outrageous because it was like, a phone interview was it yeah phone interview yeah and um yeah but getting in that was pretty awesome nice man so yeah it's kind of it was worth the you know worth the worth the travel you know yeah yeah what 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 did you initially go into biomedical science hoping to do i i it was really medicine so um but then that was kind of i don't know what i really want to do you're 18 like i don't know yeah. well, <laughs> right, a special case you're a special case you knew what you wanted to do but i was 18 like i didn't know what exactly i wanted to do so um i actually had to give a so i was actually on a podcast a few months ago it was a science graduate podcast so they were yeah. interviewing people who are science graduates but also people who have done different things so optometrists but giving a similar response um i, I didn't know what i wanted to do at that time so what what are the what career options do you have there's engineer like medicine those are kind of like the main careers there's, there's a lot more now that i know of but i back then i didn't know much um and then what was really peddled was just getting a secure job um and i guess like a lot of people are like that but in New Zealand, you can almost do nearly everything. So it's also a cultural thing too. So um, just taking it from where my parents have like come from. So uh, I'm Sri Lankan. I've got Sri Lankan heritage. I was born in New Zealand, but with Sri Lankan heritage, and just coming coming things may have changed now. But like, the impression in Sri Lanka is that like, you have to do really well to just have a normal life. So if you don't do well, that's really hard to um, have a even a normal life. So we, you take that mentality here in New Zealand, not saying New Zealand's a lazy place or anything, but there's more opportunity, I believe. You could do almost mm. nearly everything. And I didn't know that at the time. So okay, took the box to do medicine, didn't get into medicine. Optometry was, optometry was like the, the, the second option. But I truly believe that, well, you're a different case, but you can't really follow your passion. You need to, you need to find a skill that um, it's marketable. And when I say that, it has to be an in-demand skill. Like you can't just do something you're passionate about and follow that fully. You need to have that. You need, you need to be able to work in reality and have mm-hmm. a job that is needed in society. And that's what optometry is. But it does combine a lot of skills that I like. So there's like optometry, so I think it's a weird intersection. It has like, you've got business, health, and you're working with people all in one. Mm-hmm. I think it's very rare to have that in a, in a job. There's so many different skills you've got to utilize. So Yeah, I think yeah. Um, for me, it was kind of like, so my prior to wanting to be an optometrist i had a couple of years of being a dog um, a couple of years of being a, a firefighter mm. and then i had this dream of being a, a pe teacher in queenstown because um, i'd just be able to go snowboarding in the in the winter and then like water skiing and, and mountain biking and like adventuring in the summer with my students and then my mum's like uh do you know how much it costs to live in Queenstown? <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and so I was like, Yeah, uh, you don't think about those things. Eh? You need to have that life experience, I think, under your belt. Like 18, like oh, I was living at home and well, this is when I was nine. I, no, 
sorry. <laughs> yeah. See, my mum was like, just like giving me a little. Nine eighteen. What's the difference? Yeah, we give me a little reality check on, on that on that dream. <laughs> I, was, I, I still three, reckon it would, would be viable, but yeah. And then, um, so it, like those two things were were helping people, and 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 that's kind of been what I've landed on as a wired. So it must be like deep in, yeah. in my valleys and things, and that's like improving people's lives. So firefighter, obviously you saving people and teacher you're helping people to become the best version of themselves and especially in physical education you know you're helping them learn and know about human body systems but you're also helping them to like uh, one perform and also learn how to um, gain improvement over time so that you can perform um, so I think then seeing this um, this profession that like my younger brother had glasses since he was three and he must mm. have been um, 10 or, or 9 or 10 and to be told you don't need glasses anymore I, like, I didn't know what had happened but I was like that's amazing and plus what you're doing looks really cool and like uh, my mum was a laboratory scientist so I was seeing this person use a microscope uh, my dad was a physics teacher um, so it was like hey this is physics I was like, oh, this is yeah. this is like it's such a cool amalgamation of like what I've been exposed to up until that point, and it was helping people, and like you know, my little brother was stoked. So yeah, it was it was quite a cool thing to um, have as an impression of like that's possible. And then, like I said, it was a prescribed life, so it was basically like, so what what do you have to do? And it was like you got to go to univer Auckland University and study optometry, and to get there, the entrance criteria was like. Um, NCA level three with science, physics, and maths, and yeah, so that's just what I did. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting how you said like, um, I don't think the title was like the passion. I think the elements of the job are exactly the passion. Like, like I said, combining the business ideas, like how do you make it, it viable? How do you interact with people if you? do good by the people then it's viable and then the health side of things and, and, and all the elements of looking at one organ that's a reflection of the body but you're also treating and helping that organ function to the best of its ability is quite cool it is yeah I think um, coming back to the business elements um, one of the biggest lessons I ever got like from actually I've got I've got a snippet of like of lessons from every single place I've worked but like my first job at Speaksave is the like one of the um I think it's the SSRS or like the one of the head the guys who got kind of runs yeah multiple practices yeah yeah he, he said to me like he always because he I was, I was doing an interview for um what do you call it pathways yeah right, and he, yeah. he said to me it, it never worked out in the end but I was I was um interviewed for the second time and he said um he was like telling me about like if you got a disagreement with your partner how do you like um solve the situation and then like I can only like talk about the metrics like oh KPI based or like like you know, but he he was like Shivani, you got to think big, like think big. Um, that kind of that, that just stuck with me, um, and yeah, because he his answer was like you got to look at the big picture and you got to work with your other partner. Like you can't just do things on a whim because you're working with someone. Like that was my biggest um, kind of experience with business skills, like in terms of the people skills and everything. Like yeah, it, I, I just I just I just don't I, I never learned that from from school. So that was kind of like yeah. my big lesson from Specsavers. And coming to Matthews, I think the GM general manager said to me. Um, like it's, it's about how you make people feel like, cause I, I always worried like, um, cause he's coming from Specsavers, basically free eye exams. Right. And they're coming into a situation where they're paying quite a lot of money for both the product, your glasses and 
the service. And then I just felt like, because you're working in a situation where it's essentially free, even though you don't have to worry about it as an employee, it just felt like, am I doing the right job? Am I, is what I'm doing worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, and he always said to me, like, it's not, it's not about like that. It's about how you make people feel. And then mm. any skill, like anything you do, like, it's just about how you make people feel. Like if you're, for example, the course I'm doing, um, it's a high ticket sale. So it costs a lot of money to do the course, but then just how I feel about the course itself. Like I've paid for the course, but I'm getting really good care and, and treatment for it. So it made me feel good. It justified the the spend does that make sense ryan like yeah, or, i know it's a bit of diversion but it's like the like the value doesn't really the value is not in the money it's like the how people feel about it it's just really it's a people are irrational at the end of the day people aren't economics doesn't really that's where economics breaks down because people think rationally yeah um, yeah yeah as yeah, that is whole that's i've learned the same thing the the power of the value proposition um yeah and with a similar journey it's going, a very emotional thing you know, yeah, it's an emotional thing. Yeah. Yeah. Going going from um spec savers to then Patterson Burn, which is, as we said, similar to to Matthew's group in that they're a sort of a um a collection of independent practices run by a central organization. Um and yeah, so going from oh sort of you know, if someone basically free if they're AA member or sixty dollars. Yeah, if they're AA member, sorry, yeah. yeah. So it's, not, and, it's not a free eye exam, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it's and, free if you're AA member, yeah. And then most extra tests and things being mostly free, like uh, you know, contact lens trials were free, um, mm. aftercares were free, and then to start charging for my time, that was I think that's also part of why I started blogging because I had a real sort of because um, in my second year down down in Christchurch I'd gone and um, gone and done psychology. And that was around like assessing self worth, and then so then mm. it was like a, a real sort of identity crisis of going like, you know, I've I've taken this job because I feel that I'm worthy of more and I can achieve more, and then like questioning myself from the conditioning that I've just been through of of giving away my skill that I worked you know seven years to get, and like yeah. trying to do that, and then going to Australia and working with. Uh, Medicare and it was, it was quite interesting because I was in two different uh, types of practices. I was one that was solely Medicare. Um, they call so it. That a gap. means that with sorry, with, with Medicare, I'm not familiar with Australia, but they essentially people pay. Yeah, so it's like tax funded. Out, they pay tax yeah. funded, but then essentially the eye test is free because Medicare will pay. Yeah, so I was about to say there's there's practitioners that will do medicare subsidy only and they tend to work in a value model that's why specsavers works so well in australia and it's a harder market for them here in new zealand um and how they're getting still, around they that. still do quite fantastic and they're yeah. still pretty pretty good in and it's like 50 50 yeah. percent of the market pretty much market share, yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. i think um they're talking to a friend about i don't know you, you probably look at the financials and you'll see like not coronavirus not gfc it was, it was specsavers coming into the market that affected a lot of mm. the you know like the growth of small businesses but yeah. i guess it leveled the playing field that's kind of like the the commentary it didn't make things worse it just made made the playing field more level because i think prior to that um a lot of independents had it quite good yeah yeah, yeah and, I, and i think that's where if you were going to place yourself in the independent market you really needed to um but um work hard on that value proposition like what is yeah exactly what, yeah you know and that's where uh you talked about in your video about the the health aspect and potentially the corporatization devaluing the profession and it's yeah. so if you're standing yourself up as an independent optometrist and a professional 
you need to be delivering on that high end, high value, um, making them feel really good, giving them your time, um, making treating them as a patient, uh, not a customer. Just listening to their second language. That's the yeah. key. You know, they have to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was that was the thing in Australia. I had this one practice that was um, solely Medicare. And then there's other practice that had what they call gap um and we provided them ict as well so that was there was something that was there was an extra charge code for that but yeah it was like moving moving the needle and creating greater value and then um when it came to the frame salon it was all the the top european brands um and we had fast and fast um lots of those french ones uh i think they're called like lindor or something like that um which you you can so you sort of stocked like 70 units, but they were all bespoke. So you could kind of like choose out of all the all colors the and everything. Wow. Color, okay. Yeah, colors, uh, materials, shapes, um, temples, um, temple tips. Yeah, like basically. Wow, okay. Good, full customization versus I remember at um, some places I worked at, like when people ask different colors, be like, no, everything is what you see is what you get. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no customization. Yeah. But, it, but, it, and, and they were again something that was really fascinating within the space of optometry. They expected um, a certain unit of turnover. They expected you to um, hold these this the stock units that you weren't actually really supposed to sell. You were supposed to sell the customization. Um, so it was a really interesting business model for that. And yeah. um, then when I came to Shackies, again, it was about being top of the top and um, giving them that full customer journey and real intense care um and being at you know practicing that ability to explain the difference between what we did and um what they got at specsavers and it was interesting um yeah it's know, getting harder i think especially a, yeah, a, a is like, on the people the people that yeah. come back and it's the same here in tokoro plenty of people um go to rotoroa and then they've come back to tokoroa um some of them have decided with covid that they want to shop local others have yeah. Um, haven't been happy with the the value, you know. It's that value proposition, and where where you're going to sit, and that's where when they come back, you've really really got to deliver on on yeah. their, their perception of you as a brand. Do you, do you feel like there's a lot of pressure, Ryan, or do you think it's like a oh, it's a competition, you know? It's like playing rugby. I get to like nah, you know, no. I get to like no 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 pressure. It was just like I get to work the best I can. It's a good feeling to have. Yeah, and um. That was something I learned at Shack is that you you want your patients to buy into your vision as well, and I'm I'm quite happy. Like it's it's a market. I'm quite happy for people to, um, you know, do the market. That's that if they don't value what you're doing, well then I'm, why would I chase them? Because they don't see the vision that I'm presenting them, and, and you know that's a chance to work on my communication, work on my um, ability to talk through that value but you know at the same time it's a free market and you know you can't you know you can't appease everyone you know, it's like yeah you can't please an, everyone and plus yeah, you analogous can't, can't with life. Your, yeah exactly you, you can't change your entire model just for one person if they're not happy that's why another thing i had to figure out because i i remember my, working at my final job at Fote, it was like because we were quite premium and then some people would be like oh this is too expensive or like why should i shop here it's like not like I can get it cheaper, cheaper down the road, you know, it's like, oh, well, I don't know what to say. Like, you know, that's kind of like, it was hurt. It hurt as well, man. Like people, yeah. people say that to you. And then um, I think uh, my manager said at the time, or my boss said at the time, he's like, yeah, these things happen, but like you can't change your, um, 
you can't change your entire model just for this person. And there are people who like we're booked out almost a month in advance. So people mm. were willing to see us. They wanted to come and see us. So like, don't worry about that person. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's funny. It's it maybe really rethink how, how like marketing works. So for example, you got Specsavers, which is probably the bigger, um, like the big mid portion, you know, they, they pretty much, they make eye care affordable and yeah. they've got that really big market, middle market. And you've got the top percent who like $2,000, whatever X amount of money for glasses. It's like nothing to them. It's not, they want to have like the best care possible. They want to turn up and just have everything done for them. Like they can, they can come in, get their glasses and go. And sometimes kind of like they, they buy two pairs eh? and it's just like. You buy two pairs, it's nothing to them. And then, yeah. Like the most amazing like, customer yeah. experience. Eh? You're just like, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. what happened there <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and then, like you talk about mar- yeah. marketing like um everyone knows that like should have gone to spec savers like it's so catchy but then it's like good slogan yeah six well, yeah. you know estimated six million dollar uh, marketing budget and you know that's like more than a lot of these independent practices turnovers and it's just like no nah, so i I think uh, like a lot of them have to focus on word of mouth. That's the key thing. So like, cause I was thinking, oh, we should have a YouTube channel. Like, it'd be cool to have a blog for our, uh, uh, um, like for our practice website, but it's not, it's not going to really, no one's going to, I think with, especially with independent, it's more like, where'd you go for those glasses? Like, where'd you, how's that person? It's more like word of mouth. Whereas people don't really Google you for um, those sorts of things. And then when they do Google optometry stuff, it's going to come up with corporates. So, and it's really hard to compete with SEO for on corporates because they've got a whole team who specializes in that yeah. that domain. So you, you just have to focus on word of mouth and doing things that a corporate can't do. For example, speciality care, because I feel like a lot of speciality care doesn't fall in the the corporate model. It's mm-hmm. difficult to support those things because like the if you want you want to maximize profit and to maximize profit is selling glasses, I think that's a, your bread and butter butter. So what, what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? Is that kind of no, right I, wrong, think, I think I think in the corporate model, absolutely. And that's where um, in the independent model, you've got to think differently and you've got to have that point of difference. Yeah. And so that's why I think the specialist care is very important because that's going to drive the word of, the word of mouth. Um, so yeah. uh, for the last... Okay, so actually when I was at um, Patterson Byrne, um, yeah, just when I when I first got, got to Cambridge, I won a Blefix, which is a sort of a... <laughs> it's like an electric toothbrush, really, that yeah. <laughs> is for applying tea tree oil to the eyelashes to kill a microscopic mite that can colonize the eyelashes. And uh, so I sort of had this tool and treated a few people while while I was at Patterson Burn, and we didn't really have the pricing right. Um, that tool's expendables, like it, it goes by the toothbrush model, um, and they were like two, two really high-priced to make you know margin margin out of the procedure mm. um so it was it was a bit of a bit of a flop um and then over in australia i didn't actually see that much of it um but i i used it a couple of times because i took it with me because it was mine and then when i came <laughs> came back to hawks bay um we found another product like we we did a real sort of um profit loss analysis of this treatment and like compared it yeah. to a regular eye exam so like are we better off just doing a regular eye exam and it was like well you know it's a shorter amount of time um we found better uh expendables for it and we managed to make it profitable and it was sort of um two appointments so there was another touch point with your patient it was a real you know when you tell someone they got 
a microscopic mite in their eyelash and you can show them a photo of it. That was the other really cool thing. Hatchet keys, we had good technology, slot lane cameras, you could show them a photo of their yeah, eyelash. Cameras, uh, I think every practice ever set that camera, it's just so good to like, you can, cause like, I'm trying to like do it with my phone. Yeah, I do it with my same. phone at the yeah. moment, eh? Yeah. <laughs> but it's great to educate it. people that can, we can see this, like this little tiny eyelash is causing you, like it's ruining your day. Oh. And it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. Eyelashes. <laughs> You know? They are the worst. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've I've got a gentleman that like in the last three weeks is like they grow his ones grow so fast as well. It's not even a glaucoma patient because the drops can make your eyelashes grow fast. Yeah, but yeah, like um, it's funny like something unique like Demodex they go away and tell you know tell ten people, you know, and it, yeah. it's it's like it's like the bad word of mouth is coming up for the good for the good for a change because it's so such a unique niche thing that they've they'd never even known about and they've had these irritated eyes for so long and you've you've solved their problem um mm -hmm. and and same like we're talking about orthokeratology you know sometimes you get people show up and they're minus four and they've been progressing every single year and need new glasses every single year and you go hey we're going to stop that and two years down the track they're still using the same lens and it's awesome because they've got return on their, their investment they've had to you know go from getting glasses every year and fronting up for orthokeratology and then oh i haven't i don't need new glasses and hey your no. eye condition's not getting worse and you know we've we've stopped all these risk factors so yeah oh that's gosh, what, and like those the forged by pair two lenses are just so like six five man like it's it's just crazy how good they are and it's magic it's like they go in and it's yeah it's just crazy i remember like in university it was like multiple fits wash out with paragon crt because like it was always done wrong or like it's all like three people three different people but like it's just beautiful bang bang and did, you, in, did you get to do a fit at uni uh oh that's a good question probably i was probably involved in a process of a fit you know yeah. we actually saw patients in uni yeah well you know i was said, said we but you know, I, <laughs> I i don't think i did a keratoconic fit i don't think i did an orthokeratology fit yeah. yeah it was always then, like I was in the and then i worked for speak savers for 18 months and then so I was, I really felt like I was 18 months behind the eight ball. And then I worked for Patterson Byrne for uh, two and a half years. I got like uh, reasonably well schooled up and practiced in some entry level behavioral stuff. And then when I went to, to Australia, because I was by myself, I was like, right, I just need to, I had, there were some patients on the books that wore hard lenses. So I was like, right, I've got to, got to learn, like call up the, the manufacturers like read the manufacturing guides <laughs> thankfully one of my practices um they they didn't really have many patients left so i had plenty of time to read up on stuff but yeah oh, nice 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 yeah, it was um it was paid learning that one that was for sure yeah yeah i think i, I never got past rose k that's kind of like my go-to starter lens for a good <laughs> lens man I think, I think it's, it's, but you can't find like the um because the manual is always like when you search it up, it goes to Rose K2. Like it's like really hard to find like a fitting guy for Rose K. It's the same, 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 same. Yeah, yeah. And like, so, yeah. yeah, I think even when you order a Rose K, that's CLC, one of the Corneal Lens Corporation, they'll send you back a Rose K2. Yeah. So oh. uh, <laughs> if, if, if 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 you're still listening, uh, a hard lens is um, yeah. uh, a custom shaped lens to fit this person's eye. So the front of their eye is irregular. Um, and so this lens sits over their eye and, and neutralizes that shape and so it basically gives their eye a new surface it means that they can see and it's amazing they've got this big distorted image and then all of a sudden they've got this crystal clear image it's um yeah they're, they're a cool set of uh, patients when you can get it right that's for sure yeah i mean because i guess if people can't see very well even with glasses it's like not great and then put a lens on it's like changed their life they can see like their fingers all the details so 
by the way, Ryan, these explanations are really good. I'm, I'm taking notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, had a, I had a good keratoconus um, guy. He needed a graft in one of his eyes. So that eye is basically blind at the time. And then his yeah. other eye was very, very distorted. So it was, I think it was my second or third. You know, it, was my, it must be my second scleral fit. So this is this very large hard lens that you land on the yeah. white of the eye. And so you basically vault the whole cornea. So that's out of the picture. You're just worried about the front surface. But you've got to make sure that it never touches the eye. So we fit it with that um, that fish finder machine, the, the OCT. Mm. And you, you image and make sure that it, it's clear of the cornea. And yeah, that guy went from not being able to drive, not being able to get a job to bang he was back back in business and the smile on his face when he came back and was like yeah i'm working and he had like young kids and stuff it was it was the, one of the most satisfying uh, patients ever and um i saw my old boss on the weekend and he said about yeah. this other guy who's a firefighter um his character kind of unfortunately but yeah he's he's doing uh, well and i was like yeah that's that's cool to hear yeah that's cool that's good man that's really that's really good to hear those stories um i find one kind of bad no it wasn't really a great outcome but I was at low vision and then this guy got, um, he was assaulted and that resulted in, he'd actually lost half his vision. So you got a hemianopia. Um, so it's basically when you lose half a vision in both eyes. Um, was that because of head trauma? Head trauma. Yeah. Um, oh, far out. Yeah. And that, that was six months. So I think and Ryan, Ryan correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> uh, six months time. Like if there's no improvement, it's very likely the vision won't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a bit disappointing him to tell him that you can't drive, and then him not being able to drive meant he couldn't. Like, he told me a specific story where he has to like go and pick up his um, daughter. He couldn't. He wouldn't be able to do that, and he was, he was separated mm. from his partner as well. So it's a bit of a um, yeah. It's kind of, and like his family was there too. So um, both of them were in tears. So it's kind of like you get the good and you get the pretty bad as well. So yeah, and um, yeah. assault case too. So like I had to write with my job would be just basically writing a letter saying like this man's life has like changed because of the injury so yeah so in a bad way too yeah that telling someone they can't drive anymore sucks yeah yeah especially like he was he was my age ryan like it's just it's it's worse when it's like we're the same age yeah 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 that was that was the same for my um that diabetes story i wrote it was you know she was similar age just trying to have kids and i was looking at her eye just being like oh my gosh (laughs) This this is not good, and if that's what your eyes look like, what what do other things look like? And it's like it was so sad, like seeing someone like you say your age, and the information that we know about type one diabetes now and how well it can be managed. Um, that that information just wasn't you know would have been hard to find, and I think in New Zealand not really around, and just you know to see someone that's. Um, gonna go blind but not only that it's a reflection of other organs i was just like oh that was, and it yeah, was like it's quite sad it was the very start of the year as well it's just like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah start a start a year on a bad note right but yeah, yeah i think ryan what's your opinion on this so because with diabetes i think it's in 2040 it's going to double do you think it's like a fault of government or is it a fault of um or had to get had to get political but is it like the marketing behind because like, instead of getting into content creation, I've been learning more about marketing. So in YouTube, I mean, you make a YouTube video. Um, I hope, hope we're not going overtime, Ryan. You don't yeah, have a hard stop. There's do you? no time. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in, in YouTube, when you make a YouTube video, it's you, you want to focus on these two aspects. You've got your content. 
um, and you got the thumbnail and title. So you might know about this, mm. Ryan. So like the most important. I, I don't. I don't. Your, I'm learning right here because yeah. I don't pay any attention right to this. Okay. <laughs> um, so like it's really important how you package your um, your content. So you can have the great video, but if no one actually clicks on that video, it's never ever going to be discovered by the algorithm. Mm. So you want to have a good thumbnail and title. And some YouTubers like Mr. Beast. So Mr. Beast is a YouTuber. I think he's got over 50 million subscribers. That's a lot. A lot of subscribers um and this too they also have teams that work behind the scenes as well but um if he's going to make a video the first thing he will get is the thumbnail and title if he has no thumbnail or title he won't make that type of video so the key thing is your packaging so um coming back to marketing i've been thinking a lot about marketing and how like businesses market things and i don't know if i'm falling into a trap of thinking this is like conspiracy theory or <laughs> it's actually like this is actually the nature of marketing but like for example um i don't know if you've read michael poland's book on um oh he, he's a journalist he wrote a real simple book about something about eating food and how he said um yep. it's like eat eat less eat um more vegetables it's like a one-liner in there that's really important but he talks about how um when you're shopping try and avoid everything in the middle that's mm. where like all the breakfast foods are or like the um, processed foods and everything on the edge is like your vegetables because a lot of people spend more time in the in the middle yeah so it's kind of like yeah so do you think it's like marketing corporations capitalism which is like affecting the health of the population so for example fast food shopping like when you go to the supermarket things most things are the most eye-catching things are the things that aren't good for you do you think it's that's kind of like the issue and even with education education doesn't matter because a lot of people don't really do things because they're educated on it they do it because of their habits and habits are formed by our amygdala which is the you know like the emotional part of our brain and that's really marketers use the, the amygdala to sell their products what do you think ryan short short answer yes <laughs> um, but um i don't i don't think it's a conspiracy i think it's uh brain protection like as you said yeah. it, marketing is a tool for them to uh you know become more Make profitable yeah. yeah so they're, they're, they're lifelong businesses um and it's a cutthroat word out there. We have to say yeah. like, business is cutthroat. Yeah. Even though we, I've got no business experience, but I've been told. <laughs> we, where it board, does border on um, conspiracy, uh, I've, I've had Belinda and Gary Ficke on, on the podcast. And, and Belinda, yeah. when when Gary was being taken to the Australian Health Practitioners uh, Act board, um, they had the head of nutrition from Sydney University there and they found it really strange that this guy was, you know, the key witness, key witness against Gary. And they sort of looked at, you know, the the common term of like follow the money. And sure enough, he was being funded by sanitarium. <laughs> and so, again, like this is where it borders on on conspiracy. So like um, the US, UK, and Sweden uh, in two thousand eighteen created a consensus that diabetes or type 2 diabetes is able to be put into remission. Interestingly, one of the papers that they quote in this consensus is from 2002. Anyway, um, and then just recently, Australian Diabetes Association has just acknowledged that. So um, Michael Mosley, who's from the UK, he's he's written um, some books, one in particular on the 5-2 dieting, which is um, sort of similar to fasting um and he's mm. written a number of, of diet books he's now a doctor um ray kelly who i've who i've had on this podcast and yeah. dr james uh Mwiki, who was australian of the year last year he's an op, op well, he can no longer practice 
because of a neurodegenerative condition, but um, he was an ophthalmologist and was Australian of the year. They've just um, had a television show in Australia around low-carbohydrate eating, which is one of the ways that this consensus statement um, has acknowledged that people can put diabetes into remission. So um, I'm sort of, I've sort of been covertly fighting the fight for low carb for a little while. I printed off, I always print off this handout from another GP in the UK called Dr. David Unwin, and it basically is, you know, from from a case study they did, what they do in practice really, um, where they had 19 people for eight months in this case study. 18 people came back at the end of the eight months, so I immediately say that shows that this is pretty simple to follow. You know, not 18 out of 19 people were able to keep this up for eight months. And of that 18, 16 of them put their diabetes in remission. And so when you improve your blood glucose, your um, endogenous insulin, so the insulin in your pancreas secretes, becomes less. And so that also means that your um, cholesterol and blood pressure can improve. Um, and many of that, that patient base did improve. And the other two improved their diabetes. So brought that HbA1c number down by 20 points. And again, because their glucose was lower, their insulin's lower, and they're able to easily lose weight, and those two lost an average of 25 kgs. So, you know, it's this whole bundle of story. But in New Zealand at the um, School of Nutrition in Otago, and a bit like in Australia with the University of New South Wales, there's this massive influence of sanitarium, okay? And mm, like, To fund the studies, right? Yeah, to fund the studies, you know. <laughs> and like university, this is, this is where they like followed the money thing. If you're a professor, yeah. you need funding to be able to do your studies. You need to pay your salary. You need to um, pay for the resources. You need to be able to go to the conference to present your findings. And it's not free. Um, you, need, you need to give some scholarships to some undergraduates or PhD candidates. You know, So you need money. And Sanitarium su supports that. And so what Belinda found out is that the sort of father of sanitarium which is Kellogg's is also the people that began the American Dietetics Association um, and so and also there's a university if you ever um, hear all the sort of health benefits for veganism it comes from this university in California called um, Loma Linda which is a Seventh-day yep. Adventist um, university there's also um, a hospital in I think in Boston, that's uh, an Adventist cardiac hospital, and again they prescribe the vegan diet for people to improve their cardiac health. Um, you know, there's element of truth to that, but um, yeah, again it's this big conglomerate. And so Loma Linda, in in their sort of statement that said they are changing the face of nutrition science in the world, quoted Belinda's findings that she went back to the origins of. Kellogg's in the Seventh-day Adventist Church trying to prove these visions of this lady um, that had followed through into dietetics. And it was kind of like this ironic quote of like, they, they, they were acknowledging the conspiracy, well, you know, not conspiracy, but the perpetuation of their belief. And yeah, that's followed into our food pyramids, it's followed into our school lunches, it's followed into, you know, eat eat your whole grain bread, your um, heart-healthy grains and all that sort of stuff, when really it's, <laughs> you know, in part a narrative and unfortunately it's contributed to um, diabetes and blood pressure and cholesterol and heart attacks and all that sort of stuff. And then the other weird thing that um, 
you know, you hear about soy milk and soybean oil and all that sort of stuff. Again, that's a Seventh Day Adventist business out of China. So like, it's all like quite circular and, and massive, you know. Um, yeah, wow. And then I think people just don't really care, or what's the what's the situation? Like, I think like um, when I go to a, let's say a party, no one's going to be. If I, if I said this to people, no one's going to really like take a note of it. They're going to be like, they're going to be. Well, okay, it, well it's just like it's just like so much knowledge that it's kind of like, oh yeah, so, so it's over, you, overpowering. Yeah, what do you do? What do you <laughs> so do? It's like it? climate change, right? Climate change yeah. is like I can't really like as, as an individual, I can't really do anything about it. So yeah, you know, I, I just live my life as normal. <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 then, and it's like, like we'll fix in, it. terms of, in terms of business and per, per, perpetuating the story, you know, these sort of um, Sanitarium, Kellogg's, Nestle and Coca-Cola are all PepsiCo all team up. You know, you, everyone's probably seen that um, that diagram. The of food map? Yeah, the food Yeah, how, the, food the, business it's crazy how, yeah, well, I mean, same thing like, <coughs> about the country, right? It's, it's all the same. Like, now you're saying how, like, in the body, everything's the same. Like, business is all the same. Like, looking at... I guess in optometry too, like things are becoming more like we're talking about the independence on one side, then you got like the big corporates on, you know, it's like yeah, the Luxottica movement. Polarizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's polarizing. It's a duopoly or monopoly. I don't know about, I feel like in New Zealand, we've got like the, the corporates and then there's still a quite strong following for independence. But now we've got sort of independence merging together, like with Matthews, it's like a big, the big unit. Passive Burns, like a big unit. I think um, the physique group they're all independently it's cooperative right yeah yeah, yeah. but there's the kind of under collective umbrella to protect themselves so yeah it's kind of yeah same thing with foods it's all becoming one tech like tech companies it's like all mm. sucking into like kind of big you know big bubbles um i was thinking about this with gyms too like even uh, i was talking to the the gym that i go to it's called platform palmy um he's he's a one-man show yeah um and he's just got strong red equipment so a lot of like you know weightlifting bars powerlifting stones uh stones tires sledgehammers trees you know you can not not, not trees but like that logs, you know, yeah. you know that, your logs your logs logs um and he's got grand he's got a grand vision but um city fitness i think they're the number one in new yeah. zealand and he was telling me like with city fitness like $5. the best the best <laughs> is it five dollars but the the best the best um gym guy is someone who doesn't turn up at all they're the best oh, yeah. gym guy <laughs> yeah, which is kind of like what's the point? Yeah, the the model is not really, yeah, yeah, focused on the person. So, and he was saying like, I don't know if he's right or wrong, but then seventy percent of people on their list don't turn up. So that's just straight income into the into the gym. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of them will have um like cancellation fees. So it's like you don't want to you might as well just not cancel. And I think to deep like for habits like the default option is the best option, and the default option is to just keep paying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I learned I learned a lot of that from um, being connected with uh, Real Movement Project and Keegan Smith, and you know he's he's trying to foster the type of gym you're talking about, the um, yeah. really connected, buy-in, invested. You know, you want everyone on your list to be showing up, and you you know hopefully have a small number, small community, like like what we're talking about with that CrossFit mm. experience. Um, and yeah, so and and now that's turned into this knees over toes movement. Um, you know, getting mentioned on Joe Rogan, getting mentioned on um, Mark Bell podcast. You know, being interviewed on Mark Bell podcast. You know, it's like it's, it's pretty cool to see. Um, and that you know, Keegan's experience has come from high performance sport. You know, working with Catalan Dragons, working with Sydney Roosters. Um, Evidence based, you know, a lot, lot of evidence based, like tra- you know, like it's scientific yeah. and also it's like proven on the field. So yeah, 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 yeah and, and like a lot of a lot of mistakes. Like he, he admits, like he tried a lot of things. You know, then 
might not have landed one season and, and he learnt, but you know, it was like you say, trying to take that evidence base to the real world and you're like trying to amalgamate it, make it and then you've got to get them to perform on the field and it's like, do I want them to be epic epic gym people but get injured and not be able to play or do I want to make them resilient? Yeah, it's an art form as well. It's, it's not just pure science. It's like an art to coaching as well, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's funny even within independent gyms, with online coaching, a lot of people are getting their programming from other sources. So that's where mm. um, uh, if someone has a good platform, they're creating programming and making money off, off from programming. And so a lot of gyms, even though they're independent, the programming is the same. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's that, weird. <laughs> it is kind of CrossFit as well. Yeah. So, um, Siobhan, where do, where do people find you? I think like your LinkedIn's really good, YouTube's really good. Yeah. You're blogging as well, man. Like, where, where, do, people, where do people find all <laughs> that's, these things? Yeah, that's actually, uh, where do you find me? Uh, I think Twitter would be really good. So, um, what do you do on there? Uh, I just post stuff on Twitter, man. Uh, that's kind of, I, I've got, I'm, I'm everywhere. So, if you just type my name, S H I V A N, hopefully it just comes up with, um, with, with, uh, like my last name, and then you can, um, hit enter and you find me there. But I think, yeah, Twitter would be a good place. LinkedIn, actually, we'll do LinkedIn. That's quite good. But, um, I guess you're over in the show notes. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, uh, just pop, pop your message on LinkedIn. I'm happy to re respond. So yeah, I'll give you my LinkedIn and Twitter, and then that's kind of like the two platforms I'm really active on. And if anyone wants to give me a message or get in touch, I'm, I'm keen. If you want to discuss anything further, yeah, awesome, bro. And so, like, you're a bit like me. You're, you're focused on this career, but you're also Lots working out, inside, working man. out. Yeah, you know, juggling a lot of yeah. balls, seeing what, seeing what else can come of it. Um, what keeps you flowing along, like? Yeah, what's the the direction that makes things go well and shows up when things are going well? It can be a quote or a way you live your life. Okay, a really good quote is given by a, a monk. I can't remember the exact the name of the monk or the exact quote, but it's, it's something on the lines of, and you may know this, Ryan. It's like you're falling, like you're you're free falling. Um, the bad news is you don't have a parachute, but the good news is no ground. So that's how I just treat life. Like you're constantly in this crisis slash anxiety phase but it's it's all good like if you accept it it's it's a beautiful thing it's a good black place to be like you, I, I want to have that kind of anxiety or because if i have that sort of fear it means it's important to me and if i'm in this crisis i always want to change and make things better and then if they didn't have that i wouldn't be driven to do anything so that's kind of like what my my what my, my field to my fire awesome i have heard that but that was a great um <laughs> sort of meaning behind it and how that lands with yeah. you which is which is really cool bro mate this has been an awesome chat and like obviously we've talked about heaps of stuff we've geeked out a little bit around some optometry so <laughs> if you've managed to stick with us to the end thank you so much and um yeah make thank sure you guys you, thank you yeah reach out to to siobhan and check out his links in the show notes awesome we'll press stop great thank you